2: This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent.
3: There's one that picks you up and there's one that knocks you down. But all the rest, they'll carry you. And that's a riddle, I wrote, to which the answer is, alcohol, a drink of alcohol. Morning's never easy to face as an alcoholic when the guilt and shame of the previous day's actions come for payment. But thankfully, there's always that one way out that escape hatch down the hatch and we pour one from a shaky hand to another shaky hand and by the time the glass falls from our lips reality begins its retreat once again into oblivion and so it is and so it goes from generation to generation from hell to haven the drinker can never die for he was never really here in the first place the drinker lives forever as a piece of pain and peace that's gained through avoidance of what we can't face. The truth. Recording has initiated.
1: You know, Op, we just got brought in by Jack Luna again, and I've realized that it's almost a disservice for us to just carry on with the podcast without commenting on how great that man's writing is. And it also feels a little bit, it makes me feel a little bit guilty that we go in, we start every episode with writing like his and then I just start with my nonsense, my just trashy nonsense.
2: You, you know what, uh, to that point, you know what, they think kind of funny. It's sort of like if, if we had Mozart writing the intro song, a custom one every single time, and Mozart's song finishes, and we're just like, "Hey, anyway, there we go, Mozart, Mozart, fucking flies. Mozart, anyway, with his. Anyway, shit. I had a, yeah, and I, hey, so have you, do you ever like not wipe well enough? Like, if we just started yeah, yeah. that way, or yeah, because his writing is so amazing. I will say, you know, this was the first time like he wrote that, and I and like he put me in a, mo- in, a in a in a space with what he just wrote and what he just said. Um, he put me in a space. It was a space I really can't relate with.
1: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> was, you've never I, tasted alcohol. Yeah, but I and was. You, in you that compare space it, with him. you compare Jack to Mozart, but it would be like Mozart if Mozart had done like crack cocaine. Yeah. In his in his teenage years, and hit it. It was like it's like if Mozart and Tim Burton ha- had a baby.
2: Because I'm pretty sure Mozart and Tim Burton could have a baby. That's how crazy the world is.
1: But if they had a baby, that baby would be Jack Luna.
2: It would be Jack Luna. But if if the world knew that Mozart and Tim Burton had a baby, they would let that baby perform in the Olympics as
1: there's whatever not a, it wanted an Olympic, to be. There's not an Olympic event. For just babies. For babies.
2: Just but it, I mean, I'm just saying that is such a grandiose baby to be produced that they would be like, Hey, do you want to be in the Olympics? and
1: Yeah, but what would he do in the Olympics?
2: Look! Look! Right now, in this day and age, do you really have to be anything except for just you know maybe a label that that works? That's that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the the Olympics would basically say could, he could just be a
1: ba- in just yeah. in the baby category.
2: The baby. The Olympics would say we recognize that we have slighted the baby community. And moving forward, we are allowing babies into the Olympics. It's sort of like when they say we, the next president of Microsoft will be a woman. Like we're not, we don't lead with qualifications. We just state that, <laughs> you know. So yeah, now we just have a baby category at the Olympics because that's a crazy baby to lead with, right? The I will Jackson. say this: I would watch that. I would too cuz whatever that baby the the Mozart Tim Burton baby did would keep you up at night I'm guaranteed
1: guaranteed Well I I'm kind of glad that you started off with uh and this this part is completely unscripted so you you kicked us off with the Olympics here and the guy that we're talking about today is actually if there was a drinking Olympics an alcohol Olympics yeah this guy would hold like 23 world titles really and I don't know if titles are something that they give at the Olympics. I don't watch the Olympics. I don't know how mm-hmm. that works. Yeah. But
2: they give out would, uh, different colored stickers. They have a gold sticker, silver sticker. So he would
1: sticker. get a gold star sticker yeah. like 17 times. Wow. But before we go into that, yeah. I want to say that because of how bonkers this story is, and I've never had to do this with a TCK episode, mm-hmm. I want to I want front load this episode With the fact that 100% of this story is true. Wow, that's...
2: Well, I kind of feel like all the stories that you've brought to the table here at True Crime Kent Podcast that previously was, you didn't even know was a podcast, everything you've ever said was true.
1: It was, yes. But, and the reason I do this is because previous episodes, the stories never leave the realm of, okay, that's not possible. I see. Nice. We're going into realms on this episode where you're going to be sitting there hearing this going, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way. And this is all
2: fact. So I'm going to just derail you for one second. Because right before we hit recording, you were like, oh, this is 25 pages long. And I don't know if what you were saying when you said that was 25 pages for us to, to bust through for this episode, or if you had 25 pages of the research or whatever that is. Um, and so you said, we're not going to do anything. We're going to get right into this. And I am going to couple that thought with another thing, which is a lot of people are like, oh, op, you're so nice. Oh, op, you're such a... You know you're so caring, and oh, yeah. blah blah blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. all that, right? right. Oh, up, you won a father's award on Podcast Magazine. So did yeah. you? So did I you? Did. But actually, technically, I didn't, and that's another story. Just look at who they say the host of 911 calls podcast is, and that'll tell you what I mean. But what I wanted to say is, <laughs> when you said, "Don't talk about anything else." I'm going to talk about something else because okay. I don't, because nobody tells me what to do. All people are like, oh, you're so nice, but they don't understand. Well,
1: fortunately, I know that nobody tells you what to do, but fortunately, I actually pre-planned for this. Oh, you did? So I knew, I had a feeling this was going to happen. So this is actually in our timeline. Really? Oh, yes. I'm
2: both flattered and absolutely offended suddenly. So you know what? Let's Let's go. Let's move right into this. <laughs> are you serious? I was going to talk about how you got the, fo- the you, you made the top ten list of podcast magazines fathers of in podcasting. Oh well, if you're going to talk about me, go right ahead. I was going to say that. I was going to say because I thought your comment was funny when what you the comment you made just before this, which I said, "Hey, did you notice that you got top fifty po- dads in podcasting from Podcast Magazine in the mag- You're in the magazine. Like you have to buy that magazine too. That's not just like some. Yeah, it's in print." yeah and you said I would let you say what you said but I'm going to say what you said because I need I didn't get the attention I needed from my my winnings there because I'm not even apparently a host of my own show in
1: the magazine yeah right? yeah even though but, your name is in the title. It's, isn't that weird? Nine one one calls with the operator. Yeah, that's like having that's hosted oh, like by Jack Luna.
2: Yeah, that's like saying Joe Biden's podcast hosted by Kamala Harris. Ka- yeah, yeah it, well, <laughs> let's be honest. That probably would be the way that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would go anyway. No, okay. So, but your comment was that lady rock-
1: is like she has to feel the pressure of the. She is the backbone of this country, right? Now.
2: <laughs> Here's the funny thing about that, now that you mentioned it, is vice presidents do not understand the beating they're going to take because they get very little credit, but they get sent on all the... Mi- they're, they're like the little brother to the big brother who won't get off the couch. Big brother is going to send that kid, hey, 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 Ricky, hey, Ricky, do you want, do you want some Oreos? He's like, yeah, I love some Oreos. That sounds great, Bobby. And then Ricky's you know, he's like, Ricky go get the oreos. That's the vice vice president is the Oreo getter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what I was going to say is uh that you said what I think is so funny about that list is there are some legit dad podcasts on that list and then there very are very wholesome
1: family-friendly yeah. podcast Yeah.
2: Yeah, like what you you came in 12th, right? 12th. 12th, yeah. out, out of 50. 50. Holy cow. Congratulations. Also, but what came in right before you? Wasn't it like a Christian? It was.
1: It was a Christian. <laughs> it was a Christian, Christian, like wholesome family fun entertainment yeah. dad podcast. It's a podcast for dads, and it was centered around Christianity.
2: Yeah, it was like dads talking about wholesome wheat bread recipes or something crazy wholesome. Yeah, yeah. And, then, yeah and, and then and then true crime kids.
1: And then true crime Kent, which is, I don't know how many Christianity jokes I've made, the, and and every other thing I say is the f word, or like it's just it was like something wholesome, and it was like following up a good slice of Christian American pie with a pile of shit. You know,
2: <laughs> you know what? Full circle, full comedic circle. Here we were just talking about how sometimes we just pick a label as the as the next best thing, like. What just happened is they were like, we need to put some dads on a list.
1: Yeah, yeah. They did no research. Absolutely zero research. No qualifications whatsoever. If you look at the description of True Crime Kent in that magazine, they just copied and pasted what you wrote as what the podcast is. They may well get some hate mail. They may well. They-, they may well. Oh my goodness. Well,
2: I'll couple it along with my hate mail to them for not even giving me credit for my own show. I'm really glad that actually I'm really actually, to be honest, I'm really glad 911 got on there too, and that it says Jack Luna's name because for some reason, like everyone all of our fans were like, hey, i am I voted g I voted for all three. I voted for all three. I voted for all three. But Dark Topic isn't on the list, which was weird to me. Anyway, I feel like I've totally done what you said not to do, and started this on a tangent. So, I'm going to turn it back over to you, Dad.
1: So, well, like Op said, we're going to skip the the pleasantries and and the how does this story relate to us, operator? Right. And all of that because there's a lot of meat on this bone. I'm excited. We're looking at potentially a three-hour podcast here without without those stories. So let's let's get right into it. So
2: weird. So you were. So my wife was right. I just went in the kitchen and was like, hey, I got to go out and record a true crime kit. And the wife Raider said, oh, so I guess I'll see you around 10. I was like, no. It, she's like, come on. Let's be honest. That thing never goes
1: short. <laughs> and she's, right. she's right. She's right. But <laughs> okay. when you guys do 911 calls, you record them back to back. So those have to run like four hours too,
2: right? Yeah. But um, we also we, we do a lot of those in the daytime. But you you being an actual, legitimate, working, contributing, contributor to society and then doing this and being a dad. On, did I mention you're a dad on top did of that? Have
1: you heard? I'm such a dad that I was number 12 in podcasting magazines, top 50 dads in what? podcasting. A wholesome oh magazine full amazing. of wholesome podcasts. Congratulations. So, yeah,
2: let's hit this three hours hard right in the baby maker. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, our story today is going to start off, and it's going to be, it's going to center around the 1930s, 1932 and 1933 to be exact. But before we get into that, we need to go into a little bit about prohibition because so much of this uh, happens in a speakeasy. Do you know what a speakeasy is? Yes. Yes, it's when the
2: prohibition, which was where alcohol was banned or, or it was actually illegal, speakeasies were, were places where you could still procure and imbibe of said
1: alcoholic spirits. Exactly, exactly. And on midnight, on January 16th, 1920, the National Prohibition Act was kicked off, and that made anything to do with alcohol basically illegal. I mean, actually, it made anything to do with alcohol completely illegal. And that was in 1920. Okay. So because of this, an underground network of speakeasies, fucking, my computer keeps falling backwards. Hold on just a minute, man.
2: It knows what it's in for. Yeah. It knows it's in for a three-hour battle of of facts. There we go. Okay.
1: So because of the National Prohibition Act, an underground, well, kind of an underground network of speakeasies were born out of that. And uh, all that really, all a speakeasy is, is just an illegal bar. Just to simplify. And I I just want to lay this groundwork because so much of this story happens in a speakeasy. Okay. All right. Now, by 1929, just nine years after the Prohibition Act, there was an estimated, get this, 30,000 speakeasies speakeasies in New York City alone. Wow. Now, I think that when we say speakeasy, some of these, because there's so many, I, I speculate that some of this is in like the basement of some guy named Larry's apart like house, right? And it's it's just a place where him and his buddies throw darts and talk about how hot Mary Jane's new dress is. Okay. Yeah.
2: How it how it how it actually showed her knickers. That's. Are we allowed to say that? I don't know. Well, no, now that you think about it, I think we've uh, moved on to a more. Well, but I believe it's moved on. I believe the actual PC term is Cotton American.
1: Okay, Cotton no, American. No,
2: can't okay. be Cotton uh, American. Cannot be that. No. Rayon American. Nylon American. There we go. That's it.
1: So, another fun fact. NASCAR was actually born out of the Prohibition. Did you know that option? I
2: did the the guys that would run this out i I feel like I'm knowing more than I should like i I feel am I stealing your thunder by saying yes and Uh then yeah but that's
1: okay go ahead you know
2: what actually I'm not sure that that is correct so let me know quite messing up my
1: so, uh, moonshiners in Ohio, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, uh, throughout the South, they saw they saw the prohibition as a chance to make money, right? Yes, a lot of money, and they started souping So, so they're running moonshine. They're souping up their vehicles in order to evade police more easily, and that that in, obviously, you know, in in the 1920s, 1930s, things like. Turbochargers and and big eight foot spoilers and, and Honda Civics that's not a thing. No, we're, we're running bare bones equipment here. This is we're talking about Model Ts. Yes, and so so their their version of, of souping things up was weight reduction, right? Upgraded tires. Tires was a big part a big part of of getting a vehicle road ready to run from the cops radiator shrouds to stop debris like gravel and and what have you dead birds from flying up in there and ruining your radiator and they would also do engine swaps and they, it was also uh, very common to upgrade the suspensions because a lot of these roads that they're running from the police on are gravel roads with potholes and you know dead raccoons and probably an occasional body yeah um, so and it's still like that. So these vehicles were upgraded like this to evade the police. But what happened was all the moonshiners start racing on the weekends when they're not running moonshine, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're on public roads. Wrecks start happening. It starts becoming a safety issue. This led to stock car racing, which grew eventually into NASCAR. So moonshine is technically responsible for NASCAR, which kind of makes... Now it makes sense why NASCAR is such a... A very Southern. white person, yeah. cracker sport. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> it's true. It's true. But I will say this. I grew up watching NASCAR with my grandparents. My grandparents loved NASCAR the whole time I was growing up and, and still to this day love it. And there's a lot more to that sport than a bunch of stupid white people. There's That is such... It takes endurance, to it run does those cars.
2: well. Okay, on that, on that. So in town here, we have. Uh, I didn't know this, but there are NASCAR lo- local NASCAR tracks. They're not like the big giant NASCAR, but they're like uh, I guess like the feeder teams or like the like the you know like the the smaller leagues in baseball. How those feed the big teams? Yeah, that's they've got these here, and we have a local NASCAR track actually, um, and. Yes, I went, and it, it, you really have to be paying attention. It's it's not just you know, twelve cars spinning around a circle. It's not that simple. It's, no, there's complexity to it and everything. It's it's quite exciting. On that, have you ever been
1: to a <laughs> drag race? Oh yeah. Are you oh, kidding me? Look at me. I love. Oh my gosh. Yes. Have you heard my voice? I've been to a drag. I was born at a drag strip.
2: I I that is my absolute favorite. Like. That's my favorite thing in the world. Like I've never had my heart rattle inside of my chest. It's the I loudest
1: like, place on the face of the earth. The it, noise that those machines can oh, generate—you
2: can't explain it. I think the closest thing would be a shuttle launch.
1: That's what I was getting ready to say. I think the only thing louder would be nearing, would be being near a, a, a space shuttle. That, that's the only thing that could be that loud.
2: It's impossible to describe. And and so I, I take pride in taking people to those events and just
1: watching their face the first time those cars go. <laughs> There's also something uniquely American and beautiful about watching something like a 68 Chevelle yeah. go up on its back wheels and do so a wheelie for, for 2030. I mean, that is beautiful. Yeah.
2: Did the Jelly Belly car ever make it out there to, to your races?
1: No, it did not. Oh. It's always here throwing jelly, but but we've been going on about moonshine and the prohibition and blah 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 blah. Really, to all our listeners, just watch the movie Lawless with Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy, it's got Tom Hardy in it and Shia LaBeouf. Have you ever seen Lawless? Oh, I have, I love it, I love it. It's such a good movie, it is really good, and it's and it's and it's about the prohibition and moonshining, moonshine runners. That's what mm-hmm. it's about. So good, and based loosely on. And I don't know if you've looked into the backstory of that. Very loosely based on a true story. But today, we're going to be talking about a a man, an unstoppable man, an Irish man, by the name of Michael Malloy. It's a good name. It is. It's a strong name. Strong name. Strong name. And Michael Malloy was born June 5th, 1885. He immigrated to the United States around 1910 from what they believe was Donegal, Ireland. Now, this information, his birth date, and and his place of immigration is disputable, but from the best I can gather, this this is accurate information. The birth date and the because he long story short, Michael Malloy didn't talk about himself that much. Now he stood at six foot now and this information I got from his his death certificate, so that's unfortunate. But uh he stood at six foot. He was 180 pounds. He had brown hair, brown eyes. And unfortunately for, for Michael Malloy, or maybe fortunately, depending on how you look at this story, he was a raging alcoholic. He would drink anything with booze in it. Absolutely anything. Loved liquor, and he was a full blown alcoholic. Now, he had spent he had spent time he, he immigrated to the, to New York City and he had spent time after arriving there as a stationary fireman at one point. That was short lived. He did odd jobs sweeping alleyways and collecting garbage. And sometimes he took alcohol as payment, but any money that he did make went to al- alcohol. This guy's, on his on his brain 24-7, is booze. Mm. Also his liver. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. Well, that's not, he's not worried about his liver. His liver is just like, please, please <laughs> stop.
2: Did they know about livers in the... Thir- no, in I, the- I don't think
1: we discovered the liver until 1973. Yes. I believe was when we discovered the liver.
2: 73, during the, uh, and I believe it paired up with women's, yes, women's liberation. I believe it's the term.
1: Yeah, and I like how I opened this episode with everything in here is 100% factual. And then and we then r- said that. We throw some BS out there. yep And that's my fault, and I'm sorry. So, I don't uh, think we discovered the liver in '73. That was a joke. It was '71.
2: Yes, 70, Women's liberation. '71. <laughs> yes. And Tom Brokaw does the same thing. You know, he gets shot down in planes and that don't really exist. So we're good. We're good. We're good.
1: Now, the last known bit of employment for Michael Malloy. He was working as a coffin polisher and a corpse fluffer for a man named Frank Pasqua at Pasqua's burial service at 246 East One Sixteenth Street in Harlem in new york city now i know i know that said he's a corpse fluffer he didn't try to like get the corpse like he didn't try to make their penises like ready for penetration or anything that's not that kind of he wasn't that kind of fluffery he he like squared them away like got them squared up like he would like lick his thumb and like polish their nose and straighten their tie and you know not let maggots be on them for the layout and Make sure yeah. their head was tilted the right way. and But he was a fluffer for corpses. He was homeless. So he probably didn't know what it meant to look squared away. So he probably just, like, like picked leaves up off the ground and rubbed it into their hair. I was going to say, uh, a lot
2: of the open caskets probably were, like, a person, like, laying on their side with their knees up near their chest trying to stay warm. Like, that's how he saw sleeping people. So... Know, kind of, and just, he'd open their mouth like...
1: made like, him always look homeless. He yeah, was just rubbing yeah. leaves in their hair. But who trusts a homeless man to make sure the corpses look squared away? He doesn't know what being... Squ- he hasn't brushed his teeth in 10 years. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think the person that hired him has been using the
2: formaldehyde a little.
1: Now, one of the benefits of working for Pasqua's burial service uh, was he occasionally was allowed to sleep in the mortuary at night. Hmm. So that's fun. It's a good time. Well, Serious. It's quiet. Quiet. Nobody there is talkative. Uh, this this man is, is living a walking nightmare. Seriously.
2: <laughs> Everything that he thinks he's allowed to do, no one should want ever to have happen in their life. Ever.
1: Now, Michael Malloy is a loner. Um, and this is according to everybody who he didn't have any family. He had immigrated to to New York on his own, so he had no family and and no friends. Um, and even the people we'll find out that claim to be his friends are not his friends.
2: Uh, it's sad. It's <laughs> super sad so far.
1: Now the year in question, right now, the year that we're coming to is 1932. This is the smack dab in the middle of the Great Depression. Uh, you know stock market men are jumping from the 500th floor of super buildings and splatting out on the concrete and and it's just everybody's killing themselves that's what's in style suicide and everybody's kind of desperate for money right this is a tough time tough year 32
2: I'm surprised you haven't mentioned the most important thing that happened in 1932 which was it was the last year that we actually issued coins that oh, for were for fuck's sake Backed by the gold amount in that coin, so pri- mm-hmm. thirty-two and prior, yeah. the gold, the meltable value of the, the melt, the meltable gold in the in the coin was actually va- that's the value of that coin. So if you had a five-dollar gold piece, there was twice as much meltable gold as a two-dollar and fifty-cent gold. In, thir- in after thirty-two, we stopped mm-hmm. doing that. We just stopped. It's a travesty, yeah. and there are there's a there's a sordid history behind that.
1: You know, Op, I asked you before we started recording. I said, Op, do you have any coin facts? You yes. said No. And I said, Okay, good. I don't want any because we have so much we gotta get through and you said, Okay, Kent and that kind of thing that you but and now the and now this. You did this.
2: But then but then you but then you also said, I am I'm looking forward to this episode because I struggle with the truth and everything we're going to be talk- talking about in this episode is supposed to be true. And I th- I thought that at that point you were kind of selflessly backtracking and, and at the same time complimenting me on my encycl- encyclopedic knowledge of, of gold coins.
1: So Frank Pasqua is a regular at a bar at a, at a speakeasy. His favorite speakeasy is called Marino's. Mm-hmm. And because Frank Pasqua is constantly going there, and because Michael Malloy is, an, is a raging alcoholic, and Michael Malloy is kind of at least acquaintances with Frank Pasqua, you know, in, in that he works for him, he eventually ends up going to Marino's Speakeasy with Frank Pasqua. Okay. And this is where a lot of our story is going to go down at Marino's Speakeasy. And, And with that, let's get to know some of the regulars here at Marino Speakeasy.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Okay. I'm guessing there's somebody that has a last name Marino. but You would be
1: correct. Okay. Yes. Hey, how about that? But first, we're going to cover Frank Pasqua, Malloy's employer at the at the burial service. Now, Frank Pasquale was a 24-year-old high school dropout. He, he actually inherited the, the family business there of burials and funerals and dead person work and mortuary work. And he was married to a woman named Elvira, and they had a four-year-old son who would probably also – I mean, I didn't look this up, but he would probably also fiddle around inside dead people one day probably. I would imagine it seems to be an inherited family business, especially by the end of the story.
2: Yeah, I, I, we could probably could have drawn the line that just fiddled around with dead people instead of inside them. Inside them. Inside of them. Yeah, you went there. That's uh, that's a visual. Well,
1: I mean, you have to crack open... Have you ever seen an autopsy? Yes, I have. They crack open their chest cavity and they take all the innards out. You are inside the dead person.
2: I don't believe I've... Now that, I don't now think I've seen an autopsy now that you described
1: it. You're not like in, not with like your 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 penis, but like oh, just with your hands. You're just yeah, inside them with still. your hands. I mean, I guess you could be with the other thing that if you if you were so inclined, mm. if that was your. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, who would know, right?
2: I don't. I really don't.
1: Four year old son, huh? Yeah. So. Frank Pasqua was friends with Tony Marino, who we'll go into here in a minute. He's the owner of Marino Speakeasy. And Frank is a shady character. Despite his kind of professional appearance, appearance and his line of work, he knew many insurance agents and connected Marino to insurance agents in the past on a few occasions. Now, Marino and Frank would speak in Italian when they were conjuring up their, their bullshit Plots. So Frank sometimes would be seen in the back of Marino's speakeasy, speakeasy with Tony Marino, kind of blah 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 spaghetti spaghetti a mozzarella. Mm-hmm.
2: When they're tutti frutti, when they're conjuring up their bull that that what you said when they're yeah, conjuring you almost it said up bullshit, I would have still been able to get into heaven because you said it, so I would have just been quoting you. But when they're conjuring that up, is is that the same? Possibly is that similar to conjuring up? There,
1: yeah. Well, conjuring is how uh, Southerners say it, and I think okay. that it is very, um, it's it's very not, not it's very bigoted of you to point out the flaws in my grammar.
2: Yeah, technically, I never mentioned your grandma. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, Tony Marino, Tony Marino is the owner of Marino's Speakeasy. Friends with Frank Pasqua, Tony Marino is also a real shithead. Oh. He is 27 years old, three years older than Frank. Like I said, he owned the speakeasy in question and is kind of, I would say Frank Pasqua is the primary villain in this story, but Tony Marino is definitely a very close second, if not tied with Frank. Now, Tony Marino has, been, has a long history of being a shithead. He was kicked out of school in the sixth grade for being a little 12-year-old piece of shit. <laughs> he was always he was always fighting and being a smart ass and stealing so they they they, they didn't put up with that shit back then they, they just kick- they would kick you out of school yes now tony marino was also eaten up just eaten up with stds and just to name a few syphilis and clap which is oh. chlamydia um oh. and and this is he would talk about it so this isn't speculation this isn't speculation he he admitted this himself said he had the marks to prove it in reference to syphilis Uh, imagine comparing scars you know how guys will be like oh I got this sharp bite yeah at the steel mill back in back in 07 about I almost said 012
2: 012 well that would have been how they would have said it in the 1800s
1: you know like what's what's the two guys in Jaws when they're like see that you know that was a stingray back in 74 (laughs) But Tony Marino's like, see that one right there? Girl named Betty back in 27. Yikes. He's holding his dick. (laughs) (laughs) I would always preface that with,
2: here's another bite from a cougar. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Now, he passed these STDs uh, all all over Harlem and the Bronx. He also passed them on to his wife, Eleanor. And uh, the way she found out was when they did the blood work during her pregnancy with their child. They were like, yo, Eleanor, congratulations. Um, It's a boy and you have syphilis. (laughs) It's a boy and a boil.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, guess what? I I may never have drank alcohol, but did you know that I got uh, kicked out of school for an STD?
1: Okay, yeah. I mean, what's the catch here? No, I, I, I was in
2: gym class. And you know how they'd have you sit in, like, a, a an imaginary grid on the floor to take a, a attendance? And, they, you know, they'd be like, Smithson. Eric Smithson. Waddell. And they would do the name call, you know? Yeah. Well, the teacher, she said, and that's how she talked. She said, Brian malander Brian Malander Anybody seen Brian malander And I said, I raised my hand. I'm like, I did. Where's Brian Malander at? Uh, he isn't here today, he got the clap. And I had heard it on, like, NYPD, or, you know, <laughs> Law and & Order, and she looked at me and said, Would you like us to call your mom and tell her why Brian Malander isn't at school today? And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> I didn't know what I had said. But I did go home because of an, <laughs> an STD. Well,
1: the clap is Chlamydia. I mean, it's oh. it's not a big deal these days. Very curable. Ooh. Yeah, don't get but, it. But if you got it, I'm I mean, I would it. imagine in 1932, this was a lifelong ill. I mean, there's no, you know, you just had the clap. Yep, that was just got part it. of your life.
2: Live live life to the fullest after that.
1: Now, by all accounts, Tony Marino was short-tempered and violent. Kind of an asshole, which could be kind of one of the side effects, I would imagine, of syphilis. It does slowly make you go crazy, right? I believe Edgar Allan Poe had syphilis, didn't he? Um, Edgar Allan Poe did uh, uh, also... One of my uncles. Now, Tony Marino was also abusive to his wife. What? He was always... Yeah, he beat his wife a lot. Like, smacking her around and showing her what the floor looked like from a very close distance. That's so... Didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. I was always tearing up their furniture for no reason. She was always having to buy new furniture. She's like, fucking Tony, that was the third coffee table this week. And and he was always threatening to kill her and the baby. So, I mean, nobody's perfect. There's the rage,
2: I'm going to kill you and the baby. Like... In their mind, do they do they know what thing like? What's their dream? The dream scenario: if they kill mom and the baby, do, like what does he think? Does he just go to the bar? Like like do do any of these people actually think that through? They're like, life would be better. I'd wake up whenever I wanted in the morning.
1: Yeah, there's just you gotta. There's a lot you gotta overcome there to get yeah, to that part. Exactly, like twenty years. Like, ask Chris Watts. Yes,
2: there's a lot of groundwork, mm. <laughs> a lot of rock breaking a lot of license plates in between yes. waking up when you want and putting all of your children in a manhole
1: so Marino owned this speakeasy this little bar pretty shitty speakeasy not there was there were high class speakeasies in New York at the time for higher class then there was middle class speakeasies and there was this Marino's speakeasy and it's not the top shelf people that are showing up here right hmm okay kind of sketchy uh it had four round tables several chairs around those tables a very disgusting three cushion sofa that was just riddled with shit and just it's in a bar in 1932 yeah a low class bar you can imagine what the sofa was like and we'll get more into the sofa in a minute it also had a 12 foot bar and the sofa no, the sofa didn't have a bar. The, t- the oh. bar itself was 12 foot. Okay. I was going to say that's yeah, – it'll be a lot of liquid for the – There was also a cramped bathroom to take a piss or shit in when you needed to, but it was only divided by a curtain. So you would just kind of right there in the bar, step off to the side there, sling a curtain shut like a shower curtain almost, and then you would just blow it up and
2: and i like how i like how you de- actually went as far you, you went the extra mile and said there's a bathroom to take You 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 described what happens in the bathroom
1: but just i mean i don't know maybe people i don't know you never it, know who's listening it could be the speakeasy in the speakeasy girls don't poop so no, they don't they need to know what happens in a bathroom everybody in this story almost is male
2: Alcohol was illegal. I guess a lot of illicit drugs probably was too. So you go in the speakeasies, speakeasy to get the really, really hard stuff.
1: Well, they're probably drinking moonshine a lot in here too. Whiskey and all that stuff gives you gut rot. Mm. There's probably a lot of, I would say a lot of BMs happening. BMs being dropped.
2: Mm. That's a lot of information.
1: Yeah, and it looked like an empty, the speakeasy looked like an empty storefront on the outside. So it was kind of camouflaged like a Denny's. Yeah, You know how like every Denny's you've ever seen is just... It looks abandoned because nobody eats at that shithole. But then you go in and everybody's eating there? For whatever reason. Right. Yeah. But in 1931, Eleanor, Tony Marino's wife, leaves him because his craziness had reached peak. Um, He he had... And this this was a tipping point for Eleanor. This is one of my favorite parts. You know, keep in mind... Up until this point, he's been beating her relentlessly, threatening to kill her and their kids, breaking their furniture. Mm. Uh, He gave her syphilis. But the tipping point for old Eleanor was that Tony had started making faces behind the back of people that Eleanor was talking to. So Eleanor would be like at the grocery talking to somebody about apricots. Yeah. And Tony would be behind the person like me, 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 like making faces, right? (laughs) And Eleanor was like, that's it. That is it. This man is a child. This is a man-child. This is ridiculous. I will not be treated this way. I will not be treated this way. (laughs) That's the
2: stork that broke the caramels back. That is crazy. Yes. Making faces. Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) So that happens in 1931. Now, shortly after Eleanor leaves, unfortunately for this young lady... Uh, Marino runs into a young lady named Maybelle Carlson. Now, this, like I said, this is 1931, right after Eleanor leaves. Now, Maybelle Carlson, which will actually be our only female in this entire story, and she won't be around long, was a beautiful 27-year-old blonde who had moved to New York City from Washington, D.C. to start a new life after her failed marriage with a rich D.C. businessman. Do you
2: feel like we should also add a disclaimer then when you say maybe I'll be the only one in this story? Should we say, please have the record stricken about anything we talked about Eleanor up to this point? Because technically, apparently, she was also... Would you say that she was in the story up to this point? or no? She was.
1: So s- yeah. So, okay. So, if you want to argue semantics, this is the second female in the story okay but these will be the only two females with the exception of one will make a very very brief appearance at the end but aside from that 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 will be it okay so three so three so thank you for clearing that up op i'm glad that we glad that we did that so
2: there will be three but Maybell's the
1: only okay moving on now Maybell had been banished from her very very wealthy family back in dc and had came to Marino's one night for a drink, and got her just got swept off her feet by this STD-riddled, foul-mouthed, crazy, syphilis-stricken Tony Marino. Now she just left her rich life with a rich businessman, and finds herself in this low-class, shitty speakeasy with a smelly sofa and some guy taking a moonshine shit behind oh. a curtain. And she meets this this poor bastard. <laughs> Things aren't going good for Maybell, um, And she's she also ends up being an alcoholic. And pretty quickly, she moves in with Tony. Mm, okay. So she's living with Marino. His wife tries to come back during this time because they're still legally married. He lets her come back. So Eleanor comes back. And for whatever reason, Eleanor is always bitching about this lady that marino was having sex with occasionally being there all the time and living with them she has a problem with the side piece living in the same like apartment as them right that seems that seems weird also
2: seems a little weird why would you go back to him
1: well he had stopped making the faces behind people's backs. oh oh all right okay well, so he had changed. I guess is what you're. He saying. had changed, still hitting and like knocking her around and mm-hmm. being like, "Here's the fucking wall, bitch."
2: Yeah, but that,
1: but the, rubbing the, but her face in it. The line she had drawn, he
2: had come back over graciously. That line, okay, all right.
1: And then for whatever reason, Eleanor leaves again. So it's just Marino and Maybell now. And this is when Marino sees a chance to make a little bit of money, and and this will come into play later. Marino gets a life insurance policy out on Maybell for $2,000, which is $39,000 today. And shh, not long after that, she mysteriously dies in bed. The cause of death is listed as bronchial pneumonia brought on by alcohol abuse. Now, like I said, Maybelle was also an alcoholic. What what comes out later, way later, is that what had happened was uh, Marino had gotten Maybell extremely intoxicated. And then, this is a cold night, towards the end of the year it's in the winter he opens a window drags her in the bed to the window and then soaks her clothes in water and wraps her up in a wet blanket and she ends up dying from the cold okay so so he he
2: might have prepared her death he he prepared her death yes okay All right.
1: Tony Marino cashes that check for what is equivalent today of $39,000 and walks away smiling nobody suspects a thing and he gets away with that scot free not after that not long after that he moves in with his dad his sister and his wife rejoins him eleanor and and so now it's him his wife and child and his dad all living in one residence he he kind of continues beating his wife and sister every morning and and that's the state of tony marino at this point in the story
2: mm. You know, you don't hear about that as much. You don't hear about sister or sibling abuse, you know. You just don't. You, I'm sure it happens a lot. I'm sure you know, it's a thing. But yeah, he he
1: did. I say that he beat his wife and sister every morning.
2: Uh, he, uh, he would beat his wife and sister every morning.
1: Yeah, he beat. Where's the dad? Where is the dad? Where's the dad? Is he just? I, I don't. That's what I don't understand. In all my reading. I never, I can never figure. was the dad just letting this happen? Because he is beating his wife and sister's ass every morning. It's almost like he taps on his watch, he's like, 7.30, light up.
2: Yeah, and unless he came from a a deep, deep pool of siblings at age 20-something, dad is probably not that old-ish, you know?
1: No, no. Hmm... Suspicious. Now, like I said, Tony Marino, he is the owner of this establishment that our story is going to take place in. Now, the bartender here at Marino's Speakeasy was a man by the name of Joseph Murphy or Red Murphy. His nickname was Red. And for the remainder of the story, I'm just going to call him Murphy, but this is Red Murphy. And Joseph Red Murphy made $1 a day to be the bartender here at Marino's. But that's not really the reason he was there. Red Murphy was there as the bartender because he got the drink for free. And he was also an alcoholic. Oh, Now, Red Murphy was 27 years old and had an IQ of 56. So, at the very least, he could run for Senate. (laughs) (laughs) Under any political party, I think that's a requirement for both left and right politicians to run for any kind of office. Now, (laughs) Joseph Red Murphy has the same origin story as Lurch from the Adams Family (laughs) because he had escaped a mental institution in 1929 and ran to New York, which is where he ran into Marino, and Marino gave him a job. This is fucking bonkers. This story is bonkers. (laughs) Uh, So they, they have a mental patient, an escaped mental patient, as the bartender at Marino's.
2: So when he went to the table and saw that somebody's drink was empty, do you think he said... You
1: drank. Well, we will find out that he does have uh, a vocabulary. He had, at least has a better vocabulary than Lurch, but this guy's really dumb mm. and and also insane okay. out of his mind. This is a fun story. I'm oh, yeah.
0: Okay. oh, yeah.
1: Okay. Now, like I said, he was a raging alcoholic, but he also never bathed and he never ate. So he's like breakfast, shot of whiskey, lunch, three shots of whiskey, dinner. <laughs> Wow, that's a lot. That's excessive. So he smelled really bad. He just drank while he was working there as a bartender all day. So he'd be like, you know, one for you and one for old Red. (laughs) 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 Uh, And also Joseph Red Murphy, our bartender here, slept on the smelly old sofa that we were talking about earlier. So that was so the bar room there was both his place of occupation. And his kind of his room, his bedroom, because he would sleep on the sofa.
2: Okay, now it makes sense why it was probably a little gross. So that was probably like a black light nightmare.
1: Oh God! And I, I'd almost guarantee I had bed bugs. There's Uh-oh. no way I didn't have bed bugs. So he both worked and slept within ten foot of each other, which is convenient because you never have to call in on a snow day.
2: Yeah. So he had bed bugs. The bed had bed. The couch had bed bugs when they were on him.
1: Probably red bugs. And the guy never bathed, ever. Yeah. You getting a good scent here? Yeah,
2: you, it's in the back of my throat. It's like I can't shake it.
1: Anyways, now that we've gotten to know some of the regulars here, let's get back to Malloy. Now, Malloy goes from being a regular after Frank Pasqua introduces him to Marino to just kind of being there all of the time, much like Red Murphy, only uninvited. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, one of the things that that Marino offered on the free lunch tray at this low-tier poor man speakeasy was sardine sandwiches. Oh. <laughs> now, I personally love sardines. I've never had a sardine sandwich. I like the ones in Texas Pete hot sauce with crackers. It's one of my favorite things. You like sardines?
2: I can. I can. The, the clo- You tell me if I got close. The, I don't believe I've ever eaten sardines. I had kipper snacks. Kippered snacks. And I don't know what the in- hell that is. Yeah, maybe it's sardines. I don't know. It's a kippered fish in a tin. But I don't know if it was sardines. I ate it once. And I only ate it because I was on day four stuck in the woods. And was going to die. I was going
1: to die. Oh, I eat them by choice. That's. Regularly.
2: We are definitely wired different.
1: Okay. Me and my wife both love them. I love the ones in Frank hot, Frank's hot sauce. You can buy them in hot sauce. Hmm. And my wife loves the ones in mustard. We eat them on crackers. They're do, delicious. Do,
2: do sardines, t- do they taste like fish? Like, do they, is there yeah, a Yeah, they're fish very taste? fishy.
1: They're hmm. very fishy. And it's the whole fish, right? It's It's like you eat the whole fish. Head and all. Yeah, well, it depends. Some some cans you buy, it's it's the whole fish. Some some cans you buy, it's just sectioned. It's cut in sections. It just depends.
2: So if you if if you eat a whole, sorry, do you eat the head and tail and all that? Yes. Yes. Is it crunchy? Like, is there a skull? No, I
1: don't know how they do it, but the bones, the bones are all in there and everything, but they're very like uh, um, mushy. They're not. They're not hard. Maybe it's in the pickling process
2: it like emulsifies this. The, yeah, this something skeletal. like that. And okay.
1: it doesn't have the guts or anything in them though. Okay, they clean it out. Yeah, they clean them out. Yeah. I'm glad they <clears> yeah. but they're delicious on crackers. Okay. All right. So. That being said, we're not talking about 2021 version of sardines oh. in a can. This is 1932 um version. And I guarantee you they these aren't on hot sauce or with hot sauce or mustard. These are fresh off the off the pier little dead fish smeared onto a sandwich. But I mean Michael Malloy loved him. And you know, that's that was always my favorite part. That's the one thing I miss about being young and hitting the bars as a young buck was getting there to the to the pub and and enjoying in a shot of Jameson and a good hot sardine sandwich. That's I, like I missed out on so much growing you up. You did. You did. So sheltered. Hmm. Now Malloy started out as a good paying customer, but as the alcoholism increased, so did his tab. He had a tab there, and and it got to the point where Malloy was no longer paying his tab off. He was just drinking all day, not going to work, and and the tab was climbing. and On in November of 1931, Marino tells Michael Malloy that his credit is ended because he hasn't paid his tab. Hmm. Now. After this, after he got shut down, shut off, Malloy would show up night after night, begging, but to no avail. He would hang out and get what he could from other patrons. So he's he's at this bar all the time, begging. Hey, could you get me a shot? Come on, come on, Murphy. Come on, Red. Red's over there, uh, you know, yeah, acting like Lurch. He's this straight jacket is still laying in the corner of the bar, begging Red to to pour him a shot, but.
2: Sorry, M- Malloy. I I would love to I would love to help you, but I have got to keep these sard, sard- sardines warm, warm in my armpits.
1: Well, Marino is trying to figure out what to do with Malloy, and eventually he brings Malloy on as another bartender beside Murphy. So now Marino has two homeless people as his as his bartender. And he starts paying my he starts paying Malloy and drink as well. Mm. And Malloy takes up space to sleep in the floor beside Murphy, who is sleeping on the couch. So now, Marino has two employees, both of which are homeless, both of which never shower, both of which are raging alcoholics, and both of which are sleeping in this speakeasy.
2: I have a question for you on that regarding bars. Just my curiosity. I think it may also apply in this case. Um... So, the patrons to a bar, have you ever been, I'm sure you've been to at least one or two bars. Uh, Is it likely, does it happen where the bar, depending on the quality of the bar, would they ever water down their drinks?
1: So, yes, this definitely happens. Another thing that happens is they will switch out. Uh, top shelf booze. Hmm. They will sell top shelf booze as they will sell. They will sell bottom shelf booze as top shelf booze. Okay, all right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so.
2: So, so what you're saying, and and I, I'm not quite sure uh, what uh, top shelf means. But so there's 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 like
1: expensive booze, right? You got. You got Jack Daniels, like Woodford Reserve, like the, the good stuff. You got okay. the good stuff. Okay. But what a lot of bars will do when people start getting shit-faced and hammered and they're they're completely aware of what's going on, somebody may order a, a shot of Jack Daniels or whatever, or Give a, give me a Jack and Coke, and what they might get actually is like screwball peanut butter whiskey.
2: Yes. Yes. Okay. I don't even, is that a thing? I just threw a couple
1: words. I've never together. drank peanut butter whiskey, but I'd almost guarantee you that it's a thing. Okay. All right. So Malloy is, is working at the bar as a bartender now with Murphy. They're both sleeping there, uh, in, in the speakeasy. <laughs> Murphy's crashing on the smelly old bed, bud, bed bug ridden, piss filled couch. And, and Murphy is, and are and Malloy is sleeping on the floor. I don't mean to keep
2: cutting you off, but it, it, you, know, you know the olfactory memory connection where, like, you, you, you smell something and it, re- it makes you remember a time or a place? Well, I wonder, like, why would you go here? It's It sounds like it's the, the terrible,
1: terrible-smelling well, it's, it's place. 19, it's 1931, 1932. I mean... Everything smells bad? Everything smells bad. Yeah. I mean, right. New York City to this day probably smells like an asshole.
2: Yeah, it's true. The second there you are get places. in places... Yes, it's true. Okay. This
1: was 1932. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So in July of 1932, so uh, so so Malloy has been working here as a bartender for, I guess, about eight months at this point. Okay. In July of 1932, Tony Marino is sitting at a table with uh, with Frank, Frank Pasqua and a 29-year-old fruit vendor by the name of Daniel Kreisberg. They were sitting at this table at Marino's drinking. And Tony Marino makes the comment to this small group of guys that business is bad. So he's not making money hand over fist. Uh, Murphy and and Malloy are drinking him under the table. Like he's probably losing a good amount of money just to them. They're They're drinking into the profits, I would say. Now outside in the main room, while this conversation is happening at this table, Malloy and Murphy are drinking behind the bar. And Frank Pasqua observes how fragile and close to death that Malloy looks. So Malloy is like, he's like, he looks like an Irish, a walking, living Irish version of the Crypt Keeper from Tells <laughs> from the Crypt. <laughs> and, yes, okay. <clears throat> how, how does Hello Kitty sound in Irish? Hello, you know, he's like, Hello, kitties. I think that's Australian. Yeah. I always get Irish accents mixed up with Australian accents, and I'm bad at accents anyway, and you are too, so yeah. I'm glad that neither of us have to worry about accents. I'm very glad about that, Exactly. So Frank, Frank Pasqua, upon seeing Malloy's kind of frail existence, says, "Why don't you take a life insurance policy out on Malloy and he, I mean he's got one foot in the grave. If you do, I'll take care of the rest. It's funny whenever you read these stories in in the early 1900s, late 1800s, how lot-hearted murder is how simple murder is. Yeah. It's such a passing kind of like, oh, no, dude, I'm not in in the mood to murder somebody. And then they just carry on. Like, if you suggested this to one of your friends now, they would be like, are you fucking crazy? And then they would call it. But it's just so, just like normal conversation. Yeah. It's
2: very, very offhand. Like, just like, oh, by the way. Hey, can I give a crack at an Irish accent on the why don't I'm going to I'm going to say what Frank Pasquale said. You tell me how I do. OK. Why didn't you take a life insurance policy out on Molloy? there? He's got one foot in the grave. I'll take care of the rest.
1: That, That's really good. Uh, unfortunately for you, Frank Pasquale wasn't Irish.
2: Dang it. You know what I do in order <laughs> to do that voice? I do the butler lady from Downton Abbey. But I think I did Scottish again. I think I did. I don't think I did Irish. Anyway, we're moving on. I apologize. Man, I just keep diverting this story. We got 38 more pages to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Frank Pasqua, he he recommends this. Take out a life insurance policy and then kill him. Marino loves the idea. Now, Malloy, had, like I said, had no family, no friends, nobody to come looking for him if something were to happen. And uh, as it would appear... It would take very little to end this small little Irish leprechaun man. I mean, a a strong breeze, it seems, (laughs) would kill this man, right? Yes. Now, at this point, Daniel Kreisberg, who's sitting there with him, is is kind of sitting around. He wants in, too. He says, you know, the the vegetable and fruit business isn't booming either, which is what he was in. And he wants in, too. And And on that, Marino says... Sure. And with that, the three men had begun plotting the murder of our poor, unfortunate hero of this story, Michael Malloy. Wow. Just like that. And that is where the story really starts up. And boy, is it a doozy. Mm. Excited. Frank Pasqua stands to benefit in, in more ways than one. Not only would he get a cut of whatever the life insurance policies that they that they get out on Malloy would be he also would obviously be doing the afterlife services right the embalming the wake the funeral oh yeah and had intending on overcharging the insurance company because the insurance company would be covering it so he stood to benefit in more ways than one that's that's kind of his vested interest here
2: okay yeah, the fruit fluffer, he doesn't stand to make as much money on this. Just he's No, and the-
1: we're going to find out that Kreisberg in, in, in the long run here, has very little... He, he's kind of like... You remember whenever your teacher, when you were in school, would be like, Hey, pick a friend, you guys got to do a science fair project. Or like, yeah. hey, you know. And then you would get paired up with some lazy asshole and you'd end up doing all the work. And yeah. then he would like... His name was on the project at the end of the... Like, that's kind of what Kreisberg was.
2: We dissected like, sheep brains in sixth grade, and my partner just carved ACDC into the brain. That was his contribution.
1: I know this man. I know Kreisberg. That's who he is. Okay. He's the he's the one just carving ACDC while everybody else does the work. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now, Frank Pasqua, uh, who kind of ends up being the, like... The the puppeteer here for this story also has connections to get a death certificate specially made uh, in case their plan ended up being a bit messy. So he he's got connections where he can be like, hey, you know, you just put this on the death certificate. He's friends with all all of the 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 links in the death process, right? Okay, so so getting a
2: death certificate specially would 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 would, would circumvent. Uh, the the, investigation, what what caused the death is what you're saying? Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. As long as, I mean, they couldn't Ronnie McNutt, this dude, they couldn't blow his fucking head off and then be like, Hey, you want to say that this was pneumonia? Yeah. Right. I I mean, that'd be tough. Okay. They're going to ask questions. Yeah. I see. (laughs) So what they need, uh, is a relatively undamaged corpse for this to work. Right. For the most part. Yes. Now, like I said, Frank also knew many insurance agencies uh, because he's in the death business. Uh, But he was kind of concerned that the fact that Michael Malloy was a raging, aging alcoholic that smelled like hot cow piss (laughs) and slept in the floor of a bar after wolfing down sardine sandwiches during a booze-fueled blackout would kind of narrow their chances of securing a life insurance policy life insurance companies kind of look down on insuring people like that yeah <laughs> on top of that none of them were related to michael malloy okay so insurance companies ask questions
2: seems fraught with risk from the beginning
1: so on July 29th, 1932, Frank Pasqua takes Malloy. Malloy, we're going to find out in this entire story, never really asks any questions. Everything he's like, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, is there booze at the end of this? Can I can I come back and drink booze after? And any time they're like, yeah, he just kind of goes along. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll do that. But Frank Pasqua takes Malloy to meet with an insurance agent to get some life insurance on him. And Pasqua claims that Malloy is his employee at the funeral home, and there is some truth to that. There's, there's a little bit of truth to that. Okay. Now, on August 24th, 1932, that policy is denied. No shit. This is shady as hell. <laughs> and on, 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 on September 12th, 1932, Frank arranges another meeting with a different insurance company. And on September 23rd, 1932, that policy is also denied. So already there are some problems with this little... Uh, murder plan that they're... they're, They can't even... They're having trouble just securing a life insurance policy, which is step one.
2: Yeah, I might give up right here.
1: Yeah. Oh, it gets so much more bananas. But, yes, it would have been best for everybody involved. Everybody. Literally everybody involved if they would have just stepped away at this point. But they do not. (laughs) Now, in October of 1932... Once again, Pasqua, Marino, and Kreisberger sitting at the table there at the speakeasy, kind of defeated, trying to figure out, like, I mean, we can't even get the life insurance policy there. And uh, they're s- still staring at a very much alive and uninsured Michael Malloy, just getting shit-faced behind the bar, just <laughs> eating into their profits, just, bye ah, aye, good day for a drink, good day for a drink, hey And that was, I think, Australian. It was, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. It's at this point that Pasqua comes up with the idea to change the beneficiary to Murphy, to Red Murphy, our lurch behind the bar with the IQ of 56, and say that Murphy is one of Malloy's relatives. So at the moment, we have three men involved in this kind of murder conspiracy, right? But they're getting ready to bring in a fourth, Red Murphy. Okay. And the reason they do this is because Pasqua is worried that his name showing up so many times in a row on life insurance policies that have been denied would raise suspicion. Now, they also change in these life insurance policies Michael Malloy's name to Nicholas Mellory. Now, this is important. Remember that name, Nicholas Mellory. So from Michael Mallory to Nicholas Mellory. Okay. Michael Malloy to Ma- Nicholas Malloy. Mallory. Okay. Michael Malloy. They don't want his name popping up on this on this paperwork a lot, too. The group all agrees, yeah, this is a great idea. We'll bring Red Murphy into this. We'll change Malloy's name to Mallory, to Nicholas Mallory instead of Michael Malloy. And and this should work. Now we've got some next of kin that isn't really, but they don't know that. So in early of November of 1932, a life insurance policy is finally secured and Murphy is brought into the picture. So they had talked to Red Murphy before. Hey, you want to be a part of this? Like I said, murder isn't that big a deal in the nineteen thirties, apparently. Yeah, it's the yeah, Great Depression uh, after all. Yeah. Red Murphy's like, yeah, I'll kill, I'll kill this guy that I've been working with for a year now, every day, <laughs> that I think a lot of that yeah. we're friends. So the policy is secured. Murphy is identified as the next of kin for what what is as far as the insurance policy the insurance providers, as far as they're aware, is Nicholas Mellory. Now the policy was for sixteen hundred dollars. Which is thirty thousand dollars today, and had a monthly premium of five dollars a month, which is ninety eight dollars and twenty five cents today. So we're already they're in the hole, right? But they think this is gonna pay off. Mm-hmm. So for every month from here on out that Michael Malloy is alive, this group is paying almost a hundred bucks. Not to mention however much in alcohol that he is drinking every day, right?
2: Do you know that is this that parallels with today? everyone that starts a podcast pays around ninety eight twenty five a month hoping that it'll work out not to mention the amount of alcohol that they drink doing every episode
1: yeah that was definitely jack luna in the early episodes of dark topic <laughs>
2: yeah right uh, that's what i was gonna say i wasn't gonna i was gonna out him but um <laughs> you did
1: so a few days later Now we've got four, right? There's four people involved here now Yep But a few days later one of the, Another one of the regulars there A guy by the name of Anthony Tough Tony Bastone Why was he called Tough Tony? Uh, they called him Tough Tony Because he always carried a yo-yo when he could walk the dog For over 19 seconds With a Yomega firestorm That That is tough and They're like, wow Watch him walk the dog He can walk it all the way down the sidewalk That's fucking tough
2: They could have just as easily called him challenging Tony, too, because that is
1: tough and challenging. In terms of hand-to-hand confrontation, he was very skittish. Mm, Weird, but... But with a Yomega Firestorm, the guy could really tear the streets up. Yeah. I mean, he could walk the dog. He could do the cradle thing where it's like rock the baby, whatever it's called. He could make it sleep for hours. The other thing about that skill
2: is with the Yomega skills in tow... You probably stay pretty STD free because you don't um, aren't around a lot of ladies.
1: That's true, and I just made all that up. They called him Tough Tony Bastone because he was a very bad guy. He was a mobster. Tough Tony was a mobster. You, yep, yep. You got out of that. You climbed out of that that quagmire. Good job. I, for, I forgot we're doing truthful. I don't think he even. I don't. I don't know when Yomega Yo was formed but he probably never even seen a yo-yo. Yeah. And if he had, he was using it to strangle somebody with. <laughs> like Iceman Richard Kuklinski style. So <laughs> So tough Tony Bastone is hanging out here at the bar. He sees these these four guys, you know, Murphy, Daniel, and Pasqua and Marino kind of huddled around, speaking their Irish shit and 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 talking and and whispering and tough tony who is who loves crime who has a he he can sense that some shit is going down that he wants to be a part of right yeah so he kind of and they're all afraid of tough tony bastone who's at the bar all the time he kind of confronts them he scares the man into coming clean to him about what's going on and then kind of just demands that he be a part of it and on that Anthony Tuff, Tony Bastone is also brought into the picture, which brings our total amount now of, of the money being divvied up to four men. Four men. So now there are four men involved in the murder of a homeless Irish, Irish alcoholic. Now, Anthony Tuff, Tony Bastone was 43 years old, and he was married, and he was the father of five. He also, this is important, supplied Marino's speakeasy with the liquor. Now, he was kind of... One of the the head honchos over one of the boroughs of New York and their speakeasies and providing the alcohol from a a, a mob boss by the name of Maglioni. Mm, okay, he kind of has a little leverage there in that Marino gets all his alcohol through Tough Tony, right? Okay. And like I said, Tough Tony was a bad dude that had high connections to Prohibition kingpins. That ran all the spinkiesies in the Bronx. Now, Marino and everybody else at the bar actually was absolutely terrified of Anthony Tough Tony. Now, five men, like I said, are are involved in this murder, and they are to split the insurance policy up on Mallory's death. Now, this means that they would end up each at this point in time with around three hundred bucks, which equals out to six thousand dollars today. You can't even buy a nice jacuzzi that hasn't been orgied in. For six grand. Like, if you're to buy yeah. out a jacuzzi with six grand, it'd be used and it would have semen floating in it. That's yeah. how little $6,000 is. And
2: also, if you transport that jacuzzi with the water in it, with the semen floating in the top, you deserve that jacuzzi because everyone knows drain the
1: jacuzzi. No, no, I don't mean, I mean, if you were going to give $6,000 for a jacuzzi, it would just be semen in it. There wouldn't be any water. Oh, well. It would just be full of semen. Okay. All right.
2: You might want to hold on to that. I guess you wouldn't want to... Yeah, there might be some value there, so don't Which drink... Which would
1: probably be good for the skin.
2: It would. God, it's moisturizing, and then if you leave it on long enough, it also has an exfoliating effect. There has to be some kind of
1: health benefits to just marinating in, in like 38 gallons, 400 gallons of hot, boiling semen. <clears throat> I... Um Five kids, huh? After realizing how little money how little money that they stood to make, the men then set forward in trying to get more insurance policies on Malloy. So they're already kind of playing with their luck here. They secured one policy, right, which they were lucky to get. And on December 10th, 1932, after a boring series of events that I'm not going to go into and a whole bunch of insurance jargon and bullshit, <laughs> Pasqua secures... <laughs> two more life insurance policies totaling almost $1,000 on Malloy. So now they have a total of three life insurance policies on Malloy. I might
2: suggest the way that you just described life insurance policies and that they're boring and there's a bunch of... You, um, you might want to have somebody re- review your own life insurance policies if you have any that you're paying for. I,
1: I do have one, but it's like I had to read so much about life insurance policies, about this. And yeah. I don't want to put you nor our listeners okay. through it. I see. It okay. is, there was like, the book that I read, which I'll go into at the end of this, Who, what book it was, really was probably, in all the episodes we've done, the most detailed, impressive uh, recollection of a story ever. And it really covered in depth these life insurance policies. And it was a lot, It was a lot.
2: You're humbly saying you you probably have a master's in life insurance policies. I very well may. Okay. Yes. But you're saving us from the...
1: So, and that's why I shortened all that because there was probably two chapters worth just on them trying to secure these life insurance policies. Uh, It was was a lot to read. But bravo for the author because he did a great job. Now, this brung the grand total. Of the money that they would receive upon Malloy's death between these three life insurance policies to two thousand six hundred dollars, which would equate to fifty one thousand dollars today, and divvies up to be in around ten grand each. Hmm. Well, still not enough, in my opinion, to murder somebody. Yeah, ten thousand dollars. I would think that
2: in that time there were there were a lot of desperate. Components to life back then. Ten thousand dollars, relatively speaking, even even though you know, even then it wasn't maybe um, you know you weren't wealthy. Ten thousand dollars was hard to come by in in the thirties.
1: Oh yeah, like like we said, this is the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Now with that, we've got we've got the life insurance policy secured. The money was secured. It was now time to act. So it's time to move on to step two of their plan, which means. Uh, Michael Malloy would have to be dead. Somebody's got to die here, and that would end up being the hardest part of their plan. In the red corner, we have a group of five men weighing over 800 pounds combined, a tight-knit band of crooks, criminals, and mobsters. They would eventually be called the Murder Trust. And in the blue corner, topping the scales at over 160 pounds and standing at over shit. Malloy doesn't stand up at all. He's mostly just kind of stumbling around and, <laughs> and sitting most of the time. Somebody help him up. The alcohol annihilator, the destroyer of drafts, the
0: grim reaper of spirits, Michael Malloy. Uh.
1: Now, with the exception of tough Tony Bastone, the group decides that the best way to kill Malloy is simple. Just let him drink himself to death. He'll do it on his own. All we've got to do is provide the liquor. Just keep pushing liquor on him, and he'll kill himself. Give him an open tab, right? Say, hey, man, you can drink as much as you want when you want it. It was payback to you being a a loyal customer and a great employee. So before, although they let him drink, they kind of kept him in check, right? Mm -hmm. It was never no stop signs. Yeah. But now they're saying, yo, you can drink as much as you want, Malloy. As much as you want, as long as you want, there's no limit. All of that is yours. Here's the keys to the kingdom. He's telling this to an alcoholic. And they're thinking, this is going to end fast because never in this alcoholic's life has there ever been uh, access to unlimited amounts of alcohol for unlimited periods of
0: time. Right. Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions
1: apply. See website for details. Marino spends the next week trying to get Malloy to drink himself to death. <laughs> This is no matter, expensive. <laughs> no matter how much he gives him, he keeps drinking. Some nights, Malloy crashes on the floor, only to wake up the next morning, stumble three steps to the bar, and start drinking again. Other nights, Malloy passes out in an alleyway and shows up first thing in the morning. <laughs> like Like going to work. Feeling mighty thirsty today. Yeah, close, close. Now, as far as Malloy is concerned, these guys are his best friends in the world, right? He he's
2: just enjoying, he's loving life. Yeah, he figured he feels like he just he just joined the the friends gang.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's just in with this group. These are his buddies. Now, Marino is losing large amounts of money, not only in alcohol, but keep in mind he's paying. The life insurance policy premiums. Oh yeah, so he's getting very frustrated. Unfortunately for him, Malloy had just found a new reason to live. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to extend the previous
2: uh, simile, simile would be if the podcaster was paying for hosting, was still paying for his show, and then now was paying for a terrible co-host.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But also, during this time, Malloy also starts doubling down on these hot sardine
0: sandwiches. (laughs) Gross. So
1: he's also out, whatever the sardine bill is and bread bill, because these were always free. But because Malloy's shit faced all the time now in the bar, imagine the shits that Malloy has taken. And there's no door to. To, to divide it's just a curtain right so he's he's slamming whiskey and moonshine and, and chasing it with sardine sandwiches and then just dropping the worst shits imaginable <laughs> in this little bathroom that was only separated by a curtain from the bars That's so wrong all of this oh Malloy's having the time of his life it's the best years of his life it's the best time of his life Malloy's drinking in this bar during this period of time was later described as an Olympic feat of endurance. <laughs> <laughs> Some nights they would watch Malloy stumble off into the snow and they would assume he would just pass out in the snow and freeze to death, which is how a lot of people die, actually. Yeah. This is very common. Right. Very common. Somehow this never happens. Nobody ever knows where he goes, he's homeless. But he leaves the bar in the cold with snow on the ground, and somehow doesn't die. But they don't know where he goes. He's like a human walking bottle of vodka.
2: Vodka doesn't freeze because of the. That's, what, that's a good point. That could be very well what it is. Yeah. Yes, Just, he's his own radiator.
1: Malloy really lives up to the old Irish stereotype. <laughs> Though
2: I don't know that one,
1: that they just they love drinking and they're drunk all the time and they love to drink. I'm Irish, so I'm allowed to say these stereotypes. Okay,
2: I was gonna. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know that, and I didn't know you were
1: Irish. It's funny that I I have. I'm very largely Irish, Mm -hmm. and I can't do an Irish impression, an Irish accent. Yeah, I can just. I can only sound inbred. Can you drink? I can drink. There, I can drink. I can drink with the best of them. That's the brass ring of being an Irish person. So you're fine. Maybe one day we'll do a meetup and I'll prove it. Yeah, maybe. Now Marino and Murphy begin to get very frustrated. Malloy is 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 unstoppable. They've just reinvigorated him. They haven't. They're so far from killing him. And <laughs> and the rest of the group. So so the whole group. This group of of murderers are what they want to be, murderers. Uh, sitting at the table and just watching this debacle in sheer awe. Just completely blown away by the amount that this man can drink and not die. <laughs> Malloy was drinking enough alcohol every single day to kill a normal man dead. Every day. They probably could have made money selling his him to science. Oh, it gets so much, so much more <laughs> insane. eventually after about nine days murphy steps in with a recommendation so they're getting tired of it right this this isn't working hey let's start throwing shots of wood alcohol occasionally in to speed this process up now wood alcohol is known as methanol don't get it twisted this isn't a digestible this isn't just like a a filthy version of booze this is methanol Mm. now methanol is used to make antifreeze pesticides paint thinners, and certain types of fuel. It's extremely toxic. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. You can buy methanol at a, like a an Ace Hardware, not at a liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> With just three drinks of methanol that are only comprised of 4% it can cause permanent blindness so let me let me say that again three shots right mm-hmm three shots if only four percent of that shot is methanol it can cause permanent blindness
2: it's four percent it, of a shot that's like less that's like a that's an eyedropper at best so that's not a lot
1: that's not a lot at all no anything over that for a normal man can result in death Wow. Uh, and on the blindness, I hadn't even thought about this, but on the blindness, Malloy may very well have gotten blind from this, but he hadn't had clear vision in 29 years. <laughs> he had been seeing double since he was old enough to drink alcohol, so I don't even know if he would have noticed. <laughs> Maybe. And uh, I don't know what kind of father you had, but my dad actually... So Moonshine can can also make you go blind if it's bad moonshine and my daddy taught me when i was probably about 18 years old if you hold up your moonshine jar your your mason jar up to the lot mm-hmm. if there's sediment floating in that moonshine for any of my appalachians that might be listening to this mm-hmm. if you hold that moonshine up to the lot and it's got sediment floating around in that there's a good chance you got a bad batch of moonshine and that can make you go blind okay well that's a good good uh, trick that also taught me what a virgin was mm. and not in like a – not in like a, like a like a Kentucky way. Not – like uh, – okay, well, I'll just tell yeah. the story real quick. Yeah, I, I think you better. <laughs> yeah, I'll clear that up. So me and my stepbrother were watching uh, a movie called The Monster Squad. Oh, you yeah. You ever heard of that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in that movie, in The Monster Squad, they, they, the kids are talking about they have to sacrifice a virgin to stop this monster's – these monsters from coming right mm-hmm. and me and my stepbrother we were probably like nine or ten years old we didn't know what a virgin was so we're like confused like what is a virgin now my dad was in his bedroom cutting up uh what i didn't well let me tell you what happened so <laughs> the door is locked to his bedroom we were gonna was like well just go ask dad go ask dad what a virgin is so we knock on the door and he's like what And we beat on the door again, and the door slings open, and Dad was in there cutting up marijuana marijuana on a plate. (laughs) And we had agitated him because he was busy doing his work in there. And uh, me and my stepbrother said, "Uh, Dad, what what is a virgin? And frustrated, he just goes, Dad was good with words, and he was always good at simplifying things to make it to where there was no confusion. Mm. Dad said, it's somebody who ain't ever fucked before, and then he slammed the door in our face. Wow! And that's how that's how we learned what a virgin was. So it's,
2: it's like the that was you got the reading rainbow version of sex ed. Just uh, yeah, yeah. Read the book; you'll enjoy it as much as I did.
1: Donk. But I mean, my dad answered that question with the fewest amount of words. <laughs> With the le- least amount of confusion,
2: <laughs> very clear, very straight to the point.
1: And I was never confused about what a virgin was, nor was my stepbrother after that. <laughs> so they hatched this methanol plan. They're gonna they're gonna start start feeding Malloy shots of methanol or, or laced shots of methanol in between his normal shots. And Murphy, old Red Murphy, goes out and buys several jugs of methanol that night. He starts lacing Malloy's drinks with it. Shot after shot after shot after shot. And he slowly begins increasing the amount because it's having zero effect. By the end of that night, the shots had more methanol in them than they did whiskey. And Malloy was completely fine and unbothered. Crazy. Towards the end of the night, he was drinking almost pure shots of methanol and thanking them. Well, sure, sure got some good friends here. You guys are the best. Eventually, he left that night very drunk. They hope, well, maybe it takes a while for the methanol to kill him, right? Perhaps he would be found that night dead in an alley from poisoning. But unfortunately for them, the next afternoon, on cue, Malloy walks in, happy as a happy, just happy as can be. Granted from ear to ear and ready a drink. How? <laughs> oh, okay, I've got it. I got an idea.
2: I don't want to try to spoil your ending because I don't know how this ends. He may have been
1: dead a long time ago. So there is some science behind this. Hmm. And uh, it's long and lengthy and much like the insurance policies. Something to do with the fact that Malloy had been an alcoholic for so long and had consumed so much alcohol. For whatever reason, it allowed his body, for the most part, to pass this methanol on without soaking it up.
2: I was going to say, like his liver... Was not even getting in the way. It was just like holding the door at the, rest of the like As the alcohol came by, it's like, welcome to Chili's. Welcome to Chili's. Welcome to Chili's. Go on. Go on Let's to the come anus. On. Come on into the anus. Right into the jujunum. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> welcome to Chili's.
1: So there is, there is, biologically, there's a reason why this isn't working the way that they had hoped. But nonetheless, it's still a miracle he survives this. That's crazy. So frustrated, Murphy... Started Mal- this next day, Murphy starts Malloy off with a few Malloy off with a few shots of whiskey, pure whiskey, and then he switches to pure smoke, just 100 methanol. There is no mixing; it is pure wood alcohol, methanol, <laughs> pure mel- methanol. Malloy showed absolutely no signs of noticing any difference whatsoever. <laughs> By the end of that day, up he consumed a quart and a half of pure methanol. Wow. A quart (laughs) and a half of pure methanol.
2: That's wrong. That's just wrong. You're right. There must be, the the science must be kicking in with this guy. He's just like straight from mouth to to, to rectum.
1: He then stumbled out the door and was back the next morning. (laughs) This went on for several days. Several days. So they're just feeding pure methanol to him for days. This goes on for days. Now, he's still getting drunk because this has alcohol in it.
2: Well, and yeah, I would assume that even if it wasn't an
1: alcohol type... It's also probably having some kind of hallucinogenic effect, yeah, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, whether it was, you know, he's trading off alcohol kind of drunk for some kind of delirium.
1: I would imagine if I went and chucked a gallon of a paint thinner... Right now, we would have some kind of euphoric yeah. effect on me before I died. We would. We'd
2: have, a, we'd have an award-winning episode.
1: <laughs> now, Kreisberg starts getting frustrated, and this is one of the few times that Kreisberg con- contributes. He, he says, hey, I'll, I know. I'll challenge him to a drinking competition. I'll drink just whiskey, just normal whiskey. Kreisberg's like, I'll drink normal whiskey. You give him pure methanol, and we'll get him to drink, just drink all the methanol.
2: I feel. I feel like this is self-serving here. It's like,
1: what? Why can't that guy? Why won't that
2: guy get an STD? Okay, I tell you what. I'm gonna have sex with the woman repeatedly over here. He's gonna have sex over there. You come hell or high water, we're gonna get that guy to have an STD. I'm. I will not stop having sex with this woman until you know what I mean. Like, I feels yeah. like he's, you know.
1: Now keep in mind in this drinking composition, competition, Malloy is drinking pure methanol, pure chemicals. Kreisberg's bitch ass is drinking just regular whiskey. Guess what, Op? What? Malloy drank Kreisberg under the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh... This is like like somebody that smokes Marlboro lots. Challenging a crackhead to smoking pure crack and a competition of being like, who can... And then the crackhead smoking more crack than the Marlboros, the guy with the cigarettes. That's. <laughs> <laughs> it's around this time that the entire bar now smells strongly of chemicals. Huh. Uh, so odd it's obvious. It's starting to smell like a paint booth at a... <laughs> <laughs> at a uh at a Ace. home Depot right yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> and Malloy's breath just smells like straight up paint thinner <laughs> <laughs> trying to kill Malloy was getting expensive because between the insurance premiums insurance premiums that they were paying having to keep the liquor shelf stopped stocked because he's still drinking regular liquor in between these shots of methanol and the poison they were absolutely burning holes in their pockets. They, they It was beginning to get expensive trying to kill Michael Malloy. Yeah. Now, one night, they keep on with this tactic with the, with the methanol. One night in late December, after a few weeks of this tactic, the group finally get what they had hoped for. Malloy had been drinking this methanol all day between shots of legitimate whiskey, large amounts of, like I said, methanol. Now, late into the evening... Mally starts losing his balance, slurring his speech and acting uh, a lot more unstable than usual. Eventually he takes a shot, rocks forward a bit and then falls backwards straight on his back. Just ding 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 like you know <laughs> uh, you know you know that you know that famous picture of Muhammad Ali where he's oh yeah the guy over... The guy's out cold. Oh, what's funny is you're
2: saying that right now? That's actually the cover art I just used today for the dark call that I posted to Facebook. Is it really? Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm the knocked out guy on the ground and Jack's punching me. He's Muhammad Ali.
1: Well, that's what Red Murphy is currently doing over the, the unconscious body of Malloy. Oh, my goodness. Like, finally, the son of a bitch is out. Yeah. <laughs> He's drank so much methanol that they're absolutely 100% certain this is the end of Michael Malloy. and at this point, the group huddles around Malloy, convinced their plan has worked. Pasqua, Frank Pasqua, kneels down and checks his vitals. They were shallow and fading fast. So he is dying. He is dying. The poisoning is finally working. And of course they don't call for help. They don't they don't call for help. The men instead, the the men of this murder pact, they retreat to a table and start taking celebratory shots and just watching this this soon-to-be corpse. And they're probably dreaming about what they're going to spend their money on. Now, uh, uh, probably an hour into their drinking, celebrating, it's finally over, it's finally over, Um, Mallory starts to snore.
2: (laughs) I thought for sure I was going to say, like, you know, death rattle or something, but...
1: Jeez his breathing returns to normal and it appears that our hero is going to survive this night as well. <laughs> so Malloy sleeps the booze and the methanol off that night on the floor and then gets up early the next morning to do homeless errands in the city. We don't know what he did that morning, but he had stuff he had to do. Homeless people stuff. Uh, I Probably had to go pick up a brown bag um, yeah, right. take a shit on a corner somewhere, just whatever homeless people do. I don't know what they do. All the things that
2: you've seen as you've done your little Google Maps tours in these areas where these, you know how you do that when you do your research? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, he's doing everything that you see on the Google Maps cameras.
1: Yeah, he just rents a shopping cart, and he and he pushes it around town. He doesn't put anything in it, and then he returns it. There's like a homeless man that rents out shopping carts. I'll tell you one thing for the listeners, and you could do this too, up. Go to Skid Row on Google Maps and just walk around Skid Row on Google Maps. You will have entertainment, I promise you, for hours, the stuff that you'll find on there. I found legitimately a, a, a butt-naked woman sitting bare-assed on the hot pavement just looking out over the over the landscape as the <laughs> Google Maps van drives by. just You'd never know. <laughs> butt-naked, bare-assed on the sidewalk. People walking by like nothing's going on. Just... Skid Row is really wilding out. So like I said, he gets up early the next morning. He hits the city. He's got homeless guy stuff to do. Probably yell at a child on the train. Whatever that is. I don't, I don't know. But he returns that afternoon very thirsty and ready for a drink. Ready to, ready to drink. Now this process, the methanol and whiskey process, repeats for the entire month of January and has no effect whatsoever on Michael Malloy. Early January 1933, frustrated, almost broke, the group has to come up with something else. And they—and this is what they come up with. Pasqua gets the idea. He says, hey, I embalmed a guy one time that had died from eating oysters while drinking alcohol. Now, apparently, it can cause a thing called acute indigestion. Something to do with the alcohol preventing the oysters from being broken down in the stomach there's there's all kinds of science there with that
2: i sure sure, i'm sure there is i just feel like this guy's plan also lines up with like my dream trip to a mcdonald's let's try to kill him let's give him let's give him a number three well yeah
1: okay but they do something else here that would kill a normal person all right okay yeah well i'll I'll withhold my judgment Pasqua says, hey, uh, you know, I, 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 one time I embalmed a guy that had died from eating these oysters while drinking alcohol, and it had killed the man. It had caused acute indigestion. It had killed him. He says the oysters can't break them down or the oysters can't be broken down because they're, they're, they're in the alcohol in the stomach. So Pasqua, days prior to, pulling, to, to trying this, starts soaking large amounts of raw oysters in straight methanol. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that might do it. So imagine somebody takes a whole bunch of oysters and soaks them in paint thinner for three days. That's essentially what is happening here. Yeah. So for days, they're soaking actually on the shelf behind the bar where Malloy sat every single day drinking whiskey and methanol. After a few days, they're good and methanoled out. Frank takes them out, puts them on a plate, and puts them in front of Malloy. Malloy scarves them down really quick. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> Eats the oysters up. <laughs> Pushes the plate away and then gets back to drinking his methanol and whiskey. The group figures this is a deadly combination, but it might take a few days to kill Malloy. So they continue to serve him and wait. They stand by. Two days later, frustrated, Malloy walks in, sits down and asks for a drink. And Marino, kind of curious, kind of slides up to Malloy in a booth and asks him how he's feeling. Malloy responds, never felt bad in my life. <laughs>
2: here's another thing I'm just gonna say this how many times does this guy have to go to a bar where everybody is feeding him stuff and feeding him drink and none of them are participating like don't you get suspicious after a little (laughs) while
1: you know one would think this guy is thinking about one thing and one thing only though and that's booze yeah but it appears that the oysters and methanol plan had also failed I'm shocked, so shocked. <laughs> now growing increasingly frustrated, pissed off and desperate, they were now just considering beating the fuck out of him until he died. <laughs> <laughs> and in particular, it was Anthony Tough Tony Bastone that kept recommending this. Like whenever one of these plans would work, they would kind of be looking at each other and Bastone would be like Beat the fuck out of him! (laughs) Guys, uh, guys, just beat him to death. Hey,
2: Hey, you know, you gave the oysters a shot, and uh, you know, I, 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 I commend you for the for the the effort. But what I'm thinking is, uh, you know, I drive over his head. I'm just gonna put it out there. I drive over his head. Come on, guys! Bada bing, bada bing. We're done.
1: We're done. Bada bing, bada boom. We just beat him to death. (laughs) We just beat the fuck out of him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're wasting oysters here. We're wasting oysters. No, let me put a bullet in this man's <laughs> head. The entire the entire time the the group is kind of backing down Bastone. He's a, he always jumps to violence and they're like, no, the body can't be super fucked up. And that's when Murphy comes up with another plan. So Red Murphy, this is Red Murphy's plan. About the only thing that Michael Malloy consumed food wise, aside from raw poisoned oysters was the, like I said, the free sardine sandwiches. He loved them. Loved sardine sandwiches. This man loved booze and apparently methanol and sardine sandwiches. So they were going to shift their focus from the methanol to the sardine sandwiches. Oh, 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 tricky, tricky. So Frank Pasqua takes a can of sardines, opens it up, and then sits it on a shelf in the back to let them rot. So sardines. I'm not gonna lie, even though I love them, they smell pretty rough up. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised at all that they do. So he leaves this open can of sardines in the back of the bar to rot for many many days, and only when it got to the point that it was so bad that he couldn't be around them without vomiting, they did decide that it was time to to hatch this plan. Now you might think, well, that's pretty gross, but. I don't know if that would kill somebody. I mean it would definitely make you very very sick, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, for yeah, for sure. I mean, at this point they've applied every tactic in
1: construction <laughs> or on a construction site. Oh, so. uh, speaking of speaking of construction sites up. Uh, yeah. Pasqua also gathered from the local machine shop metal shavings, <laughs> so razor-like metal shavings as well as shards of glass small shards of glass <laughs> and carpet tacks
2: how do they think this is going to pass muster with a coroner he's going to look at this and be like well uh, at one point this was a human now he's a road flare
1: <laughs> you know so they wait they wait for malloy to be almost blackout drunk right so he's sloppy slurred uh-huh. they take they make the sandwich with glass carpet tacks and metal shavings, they mix all that up with rotten <laughs> sardines. They put this deadly goop on a sandwich, put it on a plate, and lay it in front of Malloy, and then watch with anticipation. So you can just imagine them all sitting around this table. They're like chewing their thumbs. Like, well, what's gonna what's going to happen? I don't know. Bot after bot, Michael Malloy eats this without even noticing he loves every single bit of it. <laughs> oh he goodness. finishes the sandwich off up and then chases it with a shot of straight methanol. <laughs> 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 okay, now
2: I am a hundred percent convinced. You, do you know who Rasputin is? Yes, well, it's funny you
1: say that. They do call him the Irish Rasputin. That comes up many times. This is, Rasputin is this guy. He stinks. The difference in Michael Malloy and Rasputin is that Rasputin's story is, there's a lot of issues with it, and a lot of people say it's completely fabricated. Mm. Michael Malloy, all of this information came out in trial from the people that did this. Wow. Wow. This is first hand account, nothing to lose. These are broken men, broken <laughs> defeated men on trial, probably on the brink of insanity. Yeah. Being like, no matter what we did. You don't you guys don't understand. This was this wasn't a man. This wasn't a man.
2: They're all like kind of ashen white like they're talking about a witch they saw. They're like their hair's all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. I, Nails. We put
1: nails in metal shards. Glass. 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 He's chased <laughs> it with methanol.
2: <laughs> he
1: consumed <laughs>
2: molten sand, converted into
1: glass, and this guy did it. Guys. But then he asked for more. He wanted more. <laughs> we didn't have any more. We didn't think it would take any more. Home Depot wouldn't let us come back, guys. That's how bad this was. <laughs> I'll just imagine them sitting around looking at each other like, what? What do we have to do? Like this is, this is absurd. The nerve of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so they thought. Well, maybe it'll take a few days to kill him. You know, maybe all that glass and methanol and thumb ta- or carpet tacks and metal shavings and rotten sardines. That'll that, it'll just take a few days. That's all. They were wrong. Uh, Malloy walked. Malloy Malloy walked in the next day and the day after that. And sat down and drank. And actually, the next day that he walked in, he asked them if they had another one of those sandwiches that he'd had the night before.
2: Wow, wow, wow. wow. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing.
1: In mid-January, Marino has a realization. Hey, I've already gotten away with murder once with Maybelle Carlson, right? The woman that he had taken out the... All he had to do that time was get her really drunk and really cold and the weather took care of the rest. It's, it's, it's January. It's cold outside. There's snow on the ground. We can just get him get him hammered and then leave him outside. Yeah. It's that simple. We've been overcomplicating this, guys. So one evening in mid-January, the new plan was set into action. Malloy, like usual, comes stumbling in, ready for a drink, and Marino, like usual... Starts pouring him shots just as quick as Malloy can take him down. He, he, he's really trying to get him blacked out. In order for this plan to work, Malloy has to be more drunk than usual. He can't he can't leave the bar this time. He has to pass out straight out on the floor. Mm-hmm. He has to be unconscious. So drink after drink, they pour. And by nightfall, Malloy was snoring in the floor of Marino's speakeasy. Now, on this particular night, the temperatures were in the low 20s and snow was on the ground. Marino and Pasqua grab Malloy up by his arms and legs, and they haul him outside. Put him in the rumble seat of Pasqua's little gray roadster. Uh, do you know what a rumble seat is? Yeah, uh, it's a. So you got the covered
2: seats in the car. a rumble seat was like the an opening, sort of like in near the trunk, open to it. Like it was like an open seat. They also uh, they used to um, they used to call them mother-in-law seats too. <laughs>
1: yes, 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 they did. So for the listener, it's basically uh, it, the seat is where the trunk would normally be, yeah. and it actually looks like a trunk lid. But instead of opening up from the back the way a trunk does, it opens up from the front, and yeah. in that is a seat. And they call it a rumble seat, actually. Uh, because in in wagon, the the term comes from wagon days. Did you oh, know that? I, I could see that. Like it's it's
2: it would be behind the axle, so it would be quite a bumpy ride if if I'm guessing.
1: But yeah, so it, it, it used to hang off the back of the covered part, mm. and that's where they would put where the wealthy would put their slaves or whatever. So it was a kind of way of displaying their slaves, their indentured servants to display their wealth but also because it was directly above the rear axle it was very a very bumpy jittery ride okay. and that's where the term rumble seat comes from huh. weird we definitely don't do that these days we do not but Malloy <laughs> is, is riding in this rumble seat he's, he's snoring and the plan was to dump Malloy in Crotona Crotona Park which was just a few blocks away from Marino Speakeasy. Now, Crotona Park is still there today. You can go on uh, Google Maps. I spent a lot of time on Google Maps this this past couple weeks uh, running around New York City. Crotona Park is still there, and I would imagine it looks fairly the same because uh, it looks it's pretty simple.
2: I was expecting <laughs> you to say that Mallor- M- M- Malloy's there too.
1: Malloy is still there <laughs> to this day, still alive. <laughs> Um. Eating metal shards. <laughs> <laughs> now, when they arrive at Crotona Park, they wrestle Malloy's dead weight out of the rumble seat and then carry him through a path in the park to a bench in the center, centermost part of the park. They dump Malloy out long ways on the bench. And uh, this is the worst part. They unbutton his shirt. He had a button up shirt. They open his his shirt up to where his his bare chest and stomach are exposed to the elements. Keep in mind, there's a lot of snow on the ground and it's snowing at the time. mm Now, they had, but they had also brought along with them a bucket of water. They slosh him with the water. So he, when they leave, he's soaking wet. Oh, man. Soaking wet in the middle of a park, in the middle of New York, in the middle of the night, in low 20s temperatures with snow coming down. They left him there on the bench and went home. They were convinced the deed was done, but the next morning, Marino shows up to work, probably had a little bit of skip in his step, right? He's feeling peppy. About to be a rich man. Yeah. When he shows up, Murphy's already there. Obviously, Murphy lives there. Murphy, unaware of the previous night's plot, he wasn't in on this little this little plan. Asks what the new plan is on ridding the world of Malloy. Marino was like, "I don't think that'll be a problem anymore." And Murphy was like, "How do you figure?" And it's at this point that they hear footsteps coming up from the basement. Oh, what? From the darkness of the basement emerges Michael Malloy. <laughs> Malloy had somehow woken up half frozen in the park, in the middle of Crotona Park, in the middle of the night, and then stumbled blackout drunk a half mile through thick snow where Murphy had un- had unknowingly let him in. Wow. He's the very drunk, very Irish Terminator, this fella. Uh, it's like if Barney Gumble from The Simpsons had the powers of Deadpool and was completely unaware of it. <laughs> now, like I said, when he got to the speakeasy, Murphy let him in because they did- he didn't know about this plot. Malloy then stumbles down the steps into the basement, cuddles up beside the furnace like a cat, and sleeps peacefully for the rest of the night. Very much alive.
2: Wow! Wow! You know, at, you know. Sometimes in a movie, you 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 start feeling sad or feel bad for the 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 the, the villain. I'm just starting to feel bad for these guys, like.
1: <laughs> Oh God! They're also going <laughs> broke. Yeah, every month. First off, the business was failing. Every month he's alive, they're out a hundred bucks. This is during the the Great Depression. Nobody has much money anyway. And on top of that, Malloy is drinking God knows how much liquor and alcohol for free. Yeah. throughout the day, right,
2: if he dies now, he probably has said every single day since this started if i if I died right now, I'd be the happiest son of <laughs> ever ever <laughs> he's going out in style he's fine right yes now. he
1: he, he, he actually he's died. not going out at all yeah
2: well, great. I'm <laughs>
1: Now, uh, the, the group is flabbergasted. They're, they're frustrated. They're desperate. They're, they're broken men. Yeah. They're just... The methanol shots had never stopped in between all of this. And because of the constant fumes of paint thinner in the air of the bar, <laughs> everybody that worked there and all the regulars, aside from Malloy, were getting headaches on the regular <laughs> <laughs> The only person that this methanol was hurting was everybody but <laughs> Malloy, the one person that is drinking it by the court.
2: Scientifically it makes you wonder like wh- <sighs> Like, you know, I can't. I drink like a soda every once in a while, right? And my body's like, oh, no, you didn't. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, what? <sighs> just tell me this. I, maybe you tell me this down the road, but just tell me this. Do they ever, does anyone ever do an autopsy on this guy? Now or he does, later? He does
1: get an autopsy. He okay. does get an I'm, autopsy.
2: I'm really excited to hear about that. So, okay. Sorry.
1: Now, a few days later, yet another idea is hatched. Uh, this will involve a, another helping hand, though. So they're going to bring somebody else into the fold. And in late January, the gang brings cab driver Hershey Green into the mix. Now, the plan here is pretty simple. You know how I, I remember I, I kept telling you that. Tough Tony keeps saying, let's just put a bullet in his head. Mm-hmm. Let's just beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> the plan now is to run Malloy over with a cab and make it look like an accident. Make Uh-oh. it look like he just... <laughs> Stumbled out into the street and got hit by a car.
2: Yeah. Okay. So. Now, okay. So drive over him. I'm just gonna drive over him. Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Just gonna drive over him. And if it's an accident, that's that still pays out for the insurance company. Oh, that's funny. Now, Hershey Green was a desperate man and, and a guy that absolutely hated the community. He hates people. He he seems like a, just a cantankerous son of a bitch. Just he really and he has no comms with murder or anything. Bad. Nobody in this story really does, but he would have done anything for money. And the gang here offers him one hundred and fifty dollars, and he agrees. Yeah, I'll, I'll run over this guy <laughs> for one hundred and fifty bucks. Absolutely. <laughs> and on January thirtieth, nineteen thirty-three, they put this plan into the action. Now, step one: we got to get Malloy hammered, like every other plot. Start out the day with Malloy. Like every other day, they start getting him sloshed. Shots of whiskey, shots of methanol, just, just to keep throwing that it might as well. I mean, we've already started on that, you know. So methanol, whiskey, methanol, moonshine, methanol. Ten, at 10 p.m., Herschel Green shows up at the speakeasy with his trusty cab and starts waiting. Now, by 11.30, Michael Malloy is drunk and unconscious on the floor of the bar like he had been so many nights before. Now the gang once again loads his limp body, this time into the back of the cab and not into a into a rumble seat of into the cab of Hershey Green. They all pile in behind him. I I read that Malloy was in the floor floorboard, and they all just put their feet on top of him. And
2: (laughs) they start cruising anymore. He's not human to these people. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, they all hate him by yeah, this point, right. even though he hasn't done anything to them. Yeah. <laughs> now, these are his best friends. They start cruising, looking for a desolate road, but that's probably tough in New York City, yeah. I would imagine. They eventually come up on Gun Hill Road, and uh, and this is in the Bronx. It's still there, but it's now a hustling, like busy street full of life and businesses. But at the time, it was a a relatively quiet kind of residential neighborhood with houses sporadically placed. They decide this is desolate enough, and this is where they're going to do their deed. So they pour out of the vehicle, and tough Tony Bastone and Murphy hold Malloy up by his arms in the middle of the road. And <laughs> so their plan here is to is to hold Malloy up in the road, let Hershey Green get a run, and then at the last minute... Bastone and Murphy are gonna dodge off to each side, leaving Malloy standing just long enough. I guess like fucking like one of the characters at the end of Mortal Kombat before you do a fatality. <laughs> yeah. Right where the... <laughs> head just that's not how it works. Right. I guess that's how... <laughs> you know, that's a Finish him and... Sub zero's just standing there with his head on a <laughs> And then Hershey Green's gonna gonna run him over, right? Yeah. So Hershey Green backs the cab up, revs the engine, and drops it, and then guns it. Moments before impact, though, lights come on in the nearby house and scares them all. So they he 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 kicks on the brakes. They all pull pull Malloy into the cab and pile in like a bunch of teenagers getting busted with mailbox doing mailbox baseball or toilet paper toilet papering a house and then book it probably giggling we almost got caught murdering somebody (laughs) so they cruise around again trying to find another abandoned street and and this is where the deed ends up being done they find another street and after three attempts and the reason they had to do it three times is because malloy no even though he was so shit-faced He instinctively, his body, dodges out of the way of the cab with the other two whenever it comes rushed. So he just comes to, for brief periods of time, to jump out of the way of the cab. (laughs) So Murphy and Bastone have to stand up, dust their knees off, and then gather him up because he's back asleep. Pick him up again. But on the third attempt, unfortunately for Malloy, our hero meets the cab and goes up over the hood, bounces off the windshield headfirst, and gets thrown end over end, flies through the air like a ninja star, and lands with a sickening, bone-breaking thud on the pavement, and comes to a stop in a heap in the drainage ditch. Oh, dang it. He got hit at 30 miles an hour. Oh. And, yeah, this is the sad part of the story, unfortunately. Shoot. Right after Malloy is, is broken and... And busted and destroyed in the in the ditch there. Uh another car comes up over the horizon with its headlights on it, scares the gang. They all pile back into the car and and head to the speakeasy. The job has finally been done. And that's that's unfortunate. Oh my god. But gosh. you know what you need to claim insurance up? A body? A body. <laughs> they just left the body in a heap in the ditch. They did. They didn't.
2: That was their prize. That's like that was, that the, was prize. the winnings. Pretty big part. Yeah, that's, the that's pretty big part of the plan. If you're gonna go cash your
1: lottery ticket, and you need your ticket. So the next morning, they all gather at the bar with with newspapers and wait. And th- and this time, unfortunately for us in the story, Michael Malloy doesn't darken the doorway of the bar with his beautiful Irish smile. And say ready for a drink. He doesn't show up at all. But they start scouring the morning papers for news about a man being killed in a hit and run accident. But nothing is there. Uh, they go back to the spot that they had hit Malloy, assuming he hadn't been found yet. They search the area. They look under bushes and whatnot, assuming maybe he'd been injured like a dog and crawled off somewhere to die. But they don't find anything. They don't find anything. They have no body. And they can't do anything now. And, and, and days go by with no sign of Malloy whatsoever. So it's on this that they start formulating a plan to murder somebody else. <laughs> they have to replace him. They need a body. They can't collect this insurance money if there isn't a body. So now the plan is to kill somebody else that looks like Malloy and then put Malloy's identification in his pocket.
2: Didn't they already rename somebody? They already renamed somebody, right? Like him. Yes. So his name
1: was his name on the insurance was Nicholas Mallory. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So the plan was to kill another homeless person, put the fake Nicholas Mallory identification that they had made in his pocket. Now they've got a body to turn. in. OK, so on February 7th, they go out on the search for a Michael Mallory Michael Malloy stunt double. They find a man by the name of Joseph Patrick Murray, who was another Irishman, who was 31 years old. He was a dead ringer, a dead ringer for for Malloy. Now, unfortunately for Murray, for Patrick Murray, he had been out looking for work and had stopped at Marino's speakeasy to grab a drink where he, unfortunately for him, met Marino and Pasqua. Mm.
3: Uh,
1: Marino and Pasqua overhear the man saying he's looking for work and notice that he's almost, like I said, a dead ringer for Malloy. They ease up behind him and offer him some work. The man says yes, and under the ruse of celebration for him finding a job, they start for- forcing booze down his throat, just like they had Malloy uh, a few days prior. They get Murray absolutely shit-faced and start the whole process over again that they had done with Malloy, and then they drag Murray into the car, just like they'd done with Malloy. They slip the Nicholas Mallory ID into his pocket they bring him to the place where they had done that to Malloy, and they run over Murray at 30 miles an hour.
2: <laughs> Jeez.
1: Unfortunately for them, a third shift employee for the Mott Haven Feed Company by the name of Valen Jenkins witnessed all of it. Valen immediately calls and gets their license plate number. Murray survived the incident, was but was in the hospital for 55 days. The gang g- gets away, though. Jeez. Exhausted and out of options, uh, you know. You would think that the gang would just give up, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've already they've killed one guy and they've they badly injured another. He's in, he's he's in the hospital for fifty five days. They don't have a body. I,
2: I would give up. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like let's let's they'd probably make more money just killing people and selling the bodies to the you know, college.
1: Marino develops a new plan op. And all it requires is a gas line and a room. A gas jet, they called it. You know what a gas jet is? Um, natural gas jet? Like an actual- Yes, exactly. So back in this time in the 30s, late 1800s, early 1900s, well, a lot of a lot of rooms had gas jets, which were used to power uh, uh, the, the lighting. A lot of the lighting ran off gas, natural gas. Okay. Yeah. And the plan is they'll, they'll, they'll rent a room with the gas jet, and they'll they'll poison they'll they'll get a homeless man, they'll put him in there, they'll they'll run a hose to his mouth from the gas jet, and they'll poison him. And that way they'll have a controlled situation where they have a body that's un that's unbothered, and they'll they'll use that body for the body of Nicholas Mallory or Michael Malloy. hmm And on this, they start their search for another person that matches Malloy's description And they do this for five days. They're looking for another homeless guy. Victim number three. On the fifth day, the gang is sitting around the table at Marino's speakeasy there, discussing their plans. Guess what happens, Op?
2: Malloy comes walking in. Michael Malloy
1: comes strolling into the
2: bar. (laughs) Shut
1: up. (laughs) Shut your mouth.
3: He does.
1: No. That's impossible.
2: (laughs) Shut up.
1: How? The first thing he says up is, I sure am dying for a drink. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? No way. The only thing he was better at than drinking was not being murdered. (laughs) Yes. Now... It's important to note Malloy was bandaged heavily and limping. But he sits down at the bar and Murphy, without hesitation, just starts pouring him shots of straight methanol. (laughs) They're right back at square one. He looked at all the other guys. He's like, hey, guys, plan one. It's still on. It's
2: still on. Oh, my gosh.
1: Marino is stunned. He pulls a stool up next to Malloy and begins to question him about his whereabouts. Where have you been the past week, dude? Like, we've already almost killed somebody else. We were getting <laughs> ready to kill somebody. And Malloy says, now what he says is, and I'm not going to do this with an Irish accent, but he says, I got hit by a car, I reckon. Don't remember much after that, though. Must I must have left here that night and stumbled out into the street. Ended up at Fordham Hospital. That's where I've been. Boy, have I been thirsty, though. Okay, so this guy. uh, Okay, see, this is this even
2: makes it more amazing because he got hit, was taken to a hospital, and no one in the hospital realized that this guy had been turned into a human fire starter, and they let it. They just they they nobody had a question, huh?
1: Nobody had a question. Malloy had. Well, he had serious injuries. He had a fractured skull, a fractured shoulder, and a concussion. guy's
2: body's made out of something special because like, you know I, I gotta imagine that there's gotta be other visual signs, like, here's a thing, here's a thing if you're strangled, or if you're, if you die of heat stroke, or all the, a bunch of things bunch of things uh, a coroner can actually tell by looking at your eye, and then actually dissecting your eye stuff about you. Your nails, yes. your nails are also a timeline, right? That this guy could drink literally paint thinner for however long, and he doesn't have any visual symptoms that a doctor in that hospital would be like, well, this is kind of weird. Let's, uh... You know what? Well, buddy, we gotta do a couple more tests on ya. Nobody. Nobody.
1: Wow. This, I got hit by a car, I reckon. I don't remember much after that. That was paraphrased later in court, right? Yeah. <laughs> So what I did is I took this phrase that Milo said right up, uh-huh. and I asked our Irish listeners. And I'm talking about – I'm not talking about somebody that like me that was like, you know, I'm 80% <laughs> Irish, but yeah, yeah. my family's been in America's for 150 years. I'm talking about Irish listeners that are in Ireland as we speak, full-blooded. Okay. Like they have – like in the, all the cemeteries – in in their family have potatoes growing out of the ground like that that Irish like full blown Irish and I had them take this phrase, three of them so I picked three of them out they took this phrase and they Irished it up for me (laughs) so I had three separate examples of maybe what it was exactly that Michael Malloy said that night at the bar or that morning at the bar when he came rolling in this, so this was
2: the is first an- one. This is anecdotal, but it could have be- very well been what uh, what he said.
1: And I wish I was good. I was better at doing an Irish accent, but this is for the Irish listeners, and they may know what some of these words mean. I do not. But here we go. <laughs> I was faffing about in some god shite in a big old yoke, and must have been acting the maggot because he hit me. And do I remember what happened? Must have left here and went for a dander. Ended up at Fordham Hospital, completely banjaxed. It's minus cryac in here. My mouth is dry as a nun's fanny. Sure, look what can you do? It'll be grand. So that was one. That was a tour of accents, too. And I don't nice. know what ha- I don't know what half those words mean. Here's a second one. Sure, I was sure. Sure I was polaxed by the car I think I remember fuck all after that Must have left here and stumbled out Into the fucking street And be the Jesus I ended up at Fordham County Home Hospital Sure that's where I've been Jesus Mary and Joseph and all the saints I was gasping for a few scoops
2: <laughs> So much
1: swearing I love the Irish I love the Irish so uh, much funny. Here's the third one I think I got hit by a motor. Oh remember fuck all after that. I dated up the road a while and ended up at the hospital. I think it was Fordham. While thirsty I can murder a pint. <laughs> so that was the three translations. I had them, I had our three of our Irish listeners take that take that little bit and and and, and Michael Malloy it up a bit. Okay. That was good by the this way. story is essentially though uh, it's wild coyote and the roadrunner. If the Roadrunner was a slurring, ditzy, raging alcoholic, and the Coyote was a group of dumbass, airheaded idiots, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're at a point now where it's basically like, "Hi, I'm Michael Malloy. Welcome to Jackass." Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, on February twenty first, nineteen thirty three. They, they, they figure, hey, we're going to go ahead with the gas, the gas jet, pro, the gas jet plan. Okay. And the search for a room begins, and it's spearheaded by Murphy and Kreisberg, who has been relatively uninvolved up until this point. Now, they do find a room off of 1210 Fulton Avenue. Today, if you look at it, it's a parking lot, one of those pay-by-the-hour parking lots. Okay. It was a little under a mile from the speakeasy, and it was being rented out by a lady by the name of Delia Murphy. Now, it was in a four-story building, and this room was at the top story, the top floor, at the very end of the hallway on the right. So, Murphy and Kreisberg, they go inside, and they check the room out. It, is, it has the bare essentials. It's got a bed, a side table, a dresser, but it does have a gas jet. and this checks out for the two. It's perfect for what they're needing. And you can just probably hear, like, the conversation, like, that's going on. You know, poor, poor Dahlia. She thinks she's just renting to two, to two men. He's probably, Murphy's probably like, yeah, this would be perfect. This would be a perfect place to kill somebody. And she's like, what was that, young man? <laughs> I'm hard of hearing. <laughs> and he's like, I said this, I said this would be a perfect place for resting. I'm killed. So under the fake name of Joseph Mallory, Murphy rents the room and the turn and the two returned to the speakeasy. We are now at Feb, February 22nd, 1933. And unfortunately, this will be the last day of Michael Malloy's life. And this time, he's not coming back up. I'll believe it when I see it. He's not coming back in mortal form. Hmm. At the Speakeasy, Bastone challenges Malloy to a drinking contest. Uh, Bastone is drinking regular whiskey while Malloy is drinking pure methanol. And after many, many, many shots, Malloy finally goes down unconscious again. Murphy puts one arm around Malloy's waist and throws one of Malloy's arms over his shoulder so Red Murphy's doing this part. He then drags Malloy the mile to the newly rented room. So they don't even put him in a car. Murphy has to kind of lug him to the to this room. And at 9:30 p.m. he knocks on the front door of the building and the landlord Delia Murphy answers. Murphy explains that this is his brother, Nicholas Mallory, and he is very, very drunk. Now, obviously, she she has, in her defense, Malloy is just very drunk. Mm -hmm. She escorts them up to the room and then leaves, and Murphy throws Malloy down on the bed and, and puts a bottle of methanol beside him on the bedside table just in case he wakes up. Murphy then walks back to the speakeasy and gathers the rubber hose... Uh, it's at this point that Tough Tony makes Kreisberg go along with Murphy. And then Murphy and Kreisberg return to the room on Fulton Avenue and make their way upstairs. Now, once there, they pull Malloy off of the bed and drag him to the gas jet, where they attach one end of the hose to the jet and insert the other end to Malloy's mouth. Jeez. Yeah.
2: They're, they're just, they're giving they're, they're done
1: with strategy. They're done. <laughs> they're tired of fucking with this guy. These are desperate men. Yes. On the brink of insanity. Murphy then wraps a towel around his head, mouth, and nose. Just to make sure that he can get... They're not taking any chances. They're making sure he can't get any kind of fresh air whatsoever. And it also helps keep the host secured. After about five minutes, Malloy does take his final breaths, and he dies. Mm. But... Malloy does get the last laugh because he also pisses himself and because Murphy is on his knees beside the body holding the hose, the piss gets all over Malloy's pants or Murphy's pants. And Murphy's like, ah, oh, the son of a bitch pissed all over me. <laughs> <laughs> they then throw Malloy on the bed and return to the speakeasy. The deed is done, and this time, ah, uh, Malloy really is dead.
2: And so you I'm pretty sure you probably caught us up on this at the beginning did Malley have anybody like, nobody he was just always at this bar that was like yeah it was home
1: these were his family these were his friends yes
2: imagine being that you get up there and like uh, you know some angels like hey by the way so uh, you want to see you uh, want to see what happened want to see how this went down
1: we need <laughs> you to look at some footage that we've gathered yeah. Exactly. For the, it's the like, past oh, three months. That's so sad. Oh, man. Malloy's like, damn. Never even saw it coming. Never even saw it coming. <laughs> He's like, I thought I tasted glass. <laughs> it's the best sandwich I ever ate. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. Now, upon returning to the speakeasy, Marino makes Murphy Red Murphy return there to the room that night and sleep with the corpse to make sure that he's dead. Um, But Red Murphy, having the IQ of fifty-six and being an escaped mental patient, has absolutely zero issue with it. He's like, "Yeah, sure." So he goes back to the room. This is just one room, a one-room place, and sleeps on the. he, He dumps Malloy into the floor and then sleeps on the bed while Malloy's corpse lays on the floor beside him. Sleeps like a baby. Now, from here, for the rest of the story up, I'm going to break this down pretty quickly because this is uh, another part where it kind of gets drawn out and boring, a lot of life insurance, yada, yada, yada. Um, the next morning, Frank Pasqua uses his contacts, gets the physician to come and pronounce Malloy dead. Official cause of death is listed as lobar pneumonia. And on February 24th, 1933, just one day after the body had been discovered, quote unquote, Malloy is buried in a cheap plot in a cheap casket in Ferncliff Cemetery under the name of Nicholas Mallory. Oh. Now, this is a big deal. Now, keep in mind, Malloy, the, this had all happened on the night of the 22nd, February 22nd. February 23rd, they had spent identifying the body figuring out what the cause of death was. And then the next day, they buried him. Mm. On February 25th, they file for the first life insurance policy with Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. This money comes in March 1st without a hitch, 800 bucks total. So the first policy, they're good. They're good to go. They got the money. They got away with it. But on the same day, they go and try to file with Prudential Life Insurance. The agent there was a man by the name of Frederick Freyzen, and he asked to see the body. That was his first question. That was a standard procedure. We have to see the body. We have to identify the corpse before we can we can close on this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this is a problem because P- Pasqua tells him, hey, we already buried him. The guy's like, he just died on the 22nd, didn't he? Pasqua's like, yeah. This throws up red flags immediately.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Now from there an investigator by the name of Adolf Coldaway is assigned to investigate the case and any time a man by the name of Adolf has his sights on you you're probably fucked <laughs> Tell that and and I bet the 6 million Jews would agree with me Yeah yeah I think you'd, you're probably right Coldaway then paints adolph coldaway then painstakingly rips this story to shreds over the next few days and there is a large portion of the book dedicated to this he is very detailed oriented he this man was good at his job the investigation itself by the insurance company could have i'm not kidding you a three-part podcast series all its own in between this, on March 19th, 1933, Anthony Tough Tony Bastone is gunned down in Marino's speakeasy by his friend Maglione for calling Maglione yellow. Tuff Tony is now dead and out of the picture, and Maglione is arrested. This happened in Marino's speakeasy while they're trying to get away with murder. Oh, my gosh. So Adolph is eventually able to... Eventually able to connect all of these men together during his investigation and a, a, an exhumation is is ordered so they're going to exhume Nicholas Mallory where they then find out that the cause of death wasn't pneumonia wasn't wasn't pneumonia but was actually gas poisoning <laughs> and after that murphy red murphy ends up cracking after that Hershey Green also rose over on all of them because he had only been paid 20 bucks of the promised 150, and all the cards start falling soon after. Everybody starts cracking.
2: You know how else is gonna have a rude awakening when uh when like after because like all the medical professionals that saw this guy come and go, you know, uh, it, while he was alive or post-mortem, they're all <laughs> imagine those guys getting up to heaven and they're like, so <laughs> uh Remember that guy? <laughs> yeah, you you did. You missed a lot of things.
1: <laughs> after, like I said, you know. Oh my gosh. After the after the uh, the exhumation, everybody st- it all falls apart. Everybody starts singing like canaries, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're all taken to court. They're all found guilty of murder. So, Crosberg, Pasqua, Marino, and Murphy are all sentenced to death. Hershey Green is sentenced to prison. And in the papers, this group is labeled the Murder's Trust. The Murder Trust. On June 7th, 1934, up, and this is where our story ends, all men are put to death by the electric chair at the Sing Sing Correction Facility in New York City. And in the papers, Michael Malloy is kind of... Uh, Brought on as a folk hero of sorts, he's labeled with names like Iron Mike, which is not to be confused with the... uh, Iron Mike Tyson. The the Mike Tyson, the black man, the large black man that's good at also making people unconscious. Yes. Uh, Iron Mike and Mike the Durable. Wow. And that is where our story ends, unfortunately. That's... two days later michael malloy (laughs) walks into the bar (laughs) (laughs) you shut your mouth oh my goodness
2: oh man though i'll bet you i wouldn't be surprised if like we have a part two that comes up in like a couple years you're like guess who they just found sitting in a park (laughs) (laughs) that's it up that's it gosh Wow. I, I feel closer to death just listening to that story, let alone that is amazing. That
1: was amazing. One of my favorite cases to research this one this one has been. Now I would like to say that my source for this story was a book called On the House, The Bizarre Killing of Michael Malloy by a man by the name of Simon Reed. And uh it was a great book. Mm. I, I give it a ten out of ten. Uh very, very detailed um the guy did a great job very really did his research aside from that and the in the the notes below whether you wherever you're listening to this be it iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever um, you will find a link to donate to Jason Vukovic's um, his commissary, his, his music player, uh, whatever you would like to we're still we're still uh, rallying behind Jason Vukovic and hopefully he'll be able to get out of prison soon um, and with that, that's the end. Don't forget to go on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever. Rate and review. Blah 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 blah. Uh, bullshit bullshit. And and that's it. Up. That's it. That's that's the end of the episode.
2: Well, you did a great job. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. I I was I was wondering how in the world you could cover like how 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 one guy being you know the strategy to kill one guy could take that much research. But you, uh, you proved me wrong. You proved, you, you, that was impressive. This was a tough son of a bitch. Yeah, he was. That he was. Wow. All right, well, um, I almost feel bad saying bye so quickly, because you did so much on this, but, you know, I think mentally you probably are ready to put this one to bed.
1: I feel as if I've been drinking, uh, how did I just say the word five million times and then, well, I'm, uh, my, uh, um. Yeah, I, for, I forgot the word, too. That's how tired I am. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've been drinking straight wood alcohol. There you go. There for, you go. For, for, for days right now. I'm smoked. <laughs> All right, well, I'll let you
2: uh, go unsmoke yourself. But uh, I'll call you tomorrow. Yeah, don't. Okay, I will. Hugs.
1: Ooh. No.
2: What? <laughs>